and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. Shin Megami Tensei Five has finally released for those of us who weren't lucky enough to get an early copy. So I'll assume so many of us on the panel have been playing through that. A lot of us have been playing through some Elden Ring network tests. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me today, we've got Josh Torres. Oh, Elden Ring. <laughs> we've got Adam Vitali. Hello. I'm going to follow that up. Uh, and then uh, James Galizio. Oh, Elden Jesus. Ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chow might be along later. I know he has he is putting together a new computer and all the you know excitement that goes along with that. So we'll see if he steps in. Uh, including being locked out of Final Fantasy 14. Yeah, the, uh, the horror of square enix account I, management i should have warned him that he needed to fucking use that guy, that security token thing that reminds me i i haven't played 11 since moving so i don't know if i got i'd use the security token though so i'd probably be fine if i resub to that but uh he's been really big into 14 so hopefully he gets it all sorted because i know that account management stuff for square enix can be uh very soupy pcs are a scary thing um don't don't fuck with PCs. That's so I, Adam, I've had my picture for this week too. But so Adam's built a new PC. Josh built a new PC a month ago. Uh, James's PC is pretty new. Like I feel like mine is like circa 2019. It's like it's still fine, right? I'm not that far behind, but no, it's good. I mean, yeah. don't you have a 3090? <laughs> mm. Mm, it's too old now. It's got it, it doesn't even it doesn't support the newest hard drives yeah but he only has like an intel like 990k or something it's so old only (laughs) jesus now i feel bad for bringing all right we're a bunch of pc elitists here apparently uh the best platform to play rpgs on i don't know but as we uh, i've been playing my switch obviously a lot lately because we heard a lot from adam last week about his pre-release impressions spoiler free on shin megami tensei 5 Obviously, it just released a couple of days ago for everyone else, though, except unless you got an early copy shipped out to you or someone broke street date. Uh, so even though we talked about Shin Megami Tensei Five last week with Adam, we will probably talk about it uh, later in the podcast this week as we'll have some more people's impressions on it, some familiar with the series, some new with the series, uh, myself. But as a new topic for the week... I think we're going to start out with Elden Ring, as preluded to by James and Josh's intros to this podcast. Because uh, over this weekend, there have been a series of network tests, including one at the time of recording, where people can get first hands on with the, you know, from software RPG slated to release early next year. Obviously, we had the big 19-ish minute gameplay trailer not too long ago, which I kind of said was really really exciting and so many people are already saying like this game looks like game of the year to 2022 it's it feels silly to say that from a trailer but that's why we're going to be talking about hands-on gameplay so uh james and or josh uh, I'll, I'll pick one of you i'll pick james so have you played one or both of the network tests so far or is the one going on right now the one you're trying to get into uh, i've played both of the ones beforehand and i'm playing the one right now Yes, yeah, so James and Josh are probably both doing a uh, dual duty, hands on an Elden Ring and giving us their impressions at the same time of the podcast. We'll see how that works. It'll be fine. It'll be good. So James, uh, I guess just 
I, I have not played the network test because I did not want to wake up at whatever ungodly hour it was at. Um, so I just I don't want to lead your thoughts or tell you what to talk about. Just what is your impression having spent, I, I assume, at least a couple hours with the, the stress test? Um, assuming everything goes well for the final release, this is a, a very, very strong front runner for Game of the Year 2022. And you're saying that based on a couple hours of play or, or how much? Yes. Um, about four and a half hours of play. And what is your uh, what is your history with like the these sorts of games? I know I know Elden Ring is kind of its own thing. It's doing a lot differently from from software's previous uh, output, even though. So you're, you're basically going in as a, a veteran, as an expert. Yeah. So does that include Sekiro? Yes. All right, because that's kind of my gap right now is that I've played Dark Souls 1, 2, 3. I've played Bloodborne. I've played Demon's Souls. I have not played Sekiro. So that's kind of like my my big gap in terms of if they borrow any of the ideas from that, uh, which I don't know if they have. I guess it'll, we'll, we'll see how the comparisons shake out uh, as more impressions from the, the stress test, you know, come come into focus as people get hands on. So what what is your biggest takeaway in terms of like the design of the open world, the horseback riding, like what immediately stands out as like a foundational aspect of Elden Ring? So on, I was checking the subreddit earlier just to see like what the overall impressions of the network test were because I was, I was curious Mm -hmm. and um, there was a meme that somebody made where it's like uh, expectations versus, versus reality expectations, uh, Dark Souls of Horses, Reality, Death of the Wild. Huh. So uh, we don't get to be yelled at for that making that comparison because someone else already did. Uh, do you think that comparison's valid or is, do you think it's a bit silly? I mean, anyone that's going to like get angry about people saying, oh yeah, Elden Ring is definitely inspired at least partly by Breath of the Wild. I don't know what you want us to say considering like... It came out right around the time this would have started going into pre-production. It sold tens of millions of copies. It was critically and commercially acclaimed. Of course, any developer working on a uh, an open world game after Breath of the Wild is going to take some cues from it. Just now, depends on how much it like shows through or not. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask. I'm. 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 I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm just trying to like nail it down. Like, can you name like outside of it? Obviously, being a big open map where you're not really directed from like dungeon air and dungeons, not the right word. Like dark souls is obviously also an interconnected world in all three of its iterations, but it's not quite open. It's more like, I guess to use another Zelda comparison, it's more like skyward sword where you have like these interlocking areas that you kind of traverse through. Uh, well, I guess even like um, dark souls two is almost very arcadey in terms of, it's not quite like, it's not obviously like demon souls where you select locations from a nexus but they're all all the locations kind of just sprawl out linearly from the the majula hub so can you name one thing in your time with elden ring that you think is not just an open world component but it's something that you could say "Ah, i see the inspiration here i see that the dark the breath of the wild influence yeah so you can't jump and climb everywhere like uh, Breath of the Wild, but there is a lot more mobility and the way that the horse specifically kind of ties into that really gives me some of those impressions. Like there's these kind of like wind current spouts throughout the world where if you jump on horseback while you're like enveloped in them, you like boost really high up. And whenever you hit back down on the ground, you don't take any um, fall damage. And 
there's uh, bits and pieces where it's like kind of like a puzzle to figure out how to get to a certain area. And then just the seamlessness, the like interconnected, like underground dungeons that are just strewn about, like strewn about places. It's, it's definitely not a one-to-one comparison, but you can definitely feel the inspiration there. I'm not sure how Josh feels if he agrees or disagrees though. Yeah. I think it's, it's a very small slice of the game. So it's hard to get a, right. uh, a sense of like, well, how this is all like going to be structured together and whatnot, because they like, there are these like white auras that like block you. These function as invisible walls, except they're visible. Um, they're just saying, Hey, you can't go here yet. Don't try to go here yet. Miyazaki said, don't go here yet. So like, I- I'm not sure exactly how that will like permeate th- throughout the game and whatnot. But what the, what it, the, this you know vertical slice shows is that they have really big ambitions of how you want to interact with the open world, so to speak. Like, um, one of the hidden bosses that you like kind of uh, like stumble upon in this game. Like, some of them you just kind of meet out in the open world. It's like, oh, that's a unique looking enemy. Like. What happens when I go up to it or hit it? And then you hit it and you see a big-ass boss bar at the bottom, you know, like how Souls games are. It's like, oh, this is a boss. Well, and it's not, it's not like, it's not like a, when you die to them, it's not like, oh, there's like a mist like going, like surrounding them now. It's like, oh, you just have to stumble upon them again in the open world. In this case, um, there's like this dragon at a lake and whatnot. And then you kind of, it kind of, how that fight is introduced, it's not through a cutscene. It's you just see like kind of the settlement of like people or you know monsters nearby, and then you got kind of go up to them, and then all of a sudden you just hear like, and it's like just all just fucking die. It's like oh, there's a dragon here. Cool. Well, here's the funny thing about that: the game actually has an NPC nearby, like overlooking the lake, and if you talk to them, they even outright warn you: don't go near the lake. There's a dragon there. I didn't see that obviously. I just kind of stumbled upon it. I'm like, oh, nice. I like how I like you had two. You had two parts of your uh, your statement there, where you're like, uh, here's an enemy. Oh shit, that's a boss. But then also like, here's a dragon on a lake. I wonder if that's a boss. Uh, but yeah. I guess I, I guess I didn't quite think of that. So obviously the gameplay preview the trailer showed some of the things that James talked about, like the the like the wind currents that the horses can almost fly on. Um, I don't think it showed the dragon. I'll, I'll remind myself. It showed a dragon. I, I, I remember if I was on a lake. I feel like I should specify that you don't actually see the dragon in the lake. It just swoops down as soon as you get close. Ah, so it's so basically is like if you're not paying attention to the world and what the NPCs are telling you. <sighs> you don't know that this is a boss arena, but it's weird because like um, in every other, I don't know about Sekiro, but in all the other iterations of souls games, like the boss arena is usually really well telegraphed because of obviously the fog gates. And then everyone, they have their big, you know, cinematic entry where it's like, here's the guy who's about to fuck your shit up. Uh, But this game, I guess in the, doesn't have that. And maybe that's obvious. It does have one of those. It does have one of those. It does have like a very like, Oh, here's like a, probably a story fight. That's like critical to the plot. And like, there, if you if you die to that boss, it'll have like the mist over the gate now. Like the first time through, you just you'll just stumble upon it, go into this room. It's kind of it's kind of telegraphed in the sense that there's like the bon, bonfire, uh, you know, outside of it. It's like okay, this is probably leading up to a boss and whatnot, and it's a very much designated boss arena. But like, it you won't know, like it won't show the mist, like in recent Souls games, and even Bloodborne and whatnot. Did it like 
telegraph you the first time like that haters yeah, yeah i was gonna say like a blood i don't remember about which souls game but i know in at least in some of the later ones it does the yeah. same thing where you, it doesn't clearly mark it as a boss arena right away until you likely die to it once yeah um how but how difficult I think, I think are you guys the, finding it okay okay so the first time i played this uh, i'm on my second character right now uh but i beat the fun the first one solo only no co-op through the bloody wolf class and that's kind of uh, to me, like your typical like swordsman and shield class uh, that that I went with, and um, I had for the big major story boss that like you fight in it. That is a difficult fight. I will I will admit gladly admit that like it took me a good number of tries and time for me to finally nail that fight because it's a two phase fight, and the first phase is like not too bad. Like I I was able to learn like its attack patterns and behaviors and that. The second one where it kind of it um, people know it as the hammer phase. Um, oh yeah, it goes very crazy. It is very aggressive. You have to, and there's like very little openings for you to attack safely without getting bopped. Uh, I feel like I should oh, yeah. definitely mention this, um, but Elden Ring has a jump button, and it wants you to know that it has a jump button because yeah. there are some attacks that enemies, particularly that boss, does that if you don't jump you're basically going to get hit by a shockwave and dodging isn't usually enough the, yeah the, the dedicated jump button is pretty big in this game like it's funny because one of the bonfires that you've seen out in the open world there's like a little like um sparkly thing nearby and it's like on an elevated platform it's like there's like no obviously obvious walkway up to it it's like you just jump <sighs> to it and then like if you think about it in previous souls games you'd have to like find some weird like cliff to like fall off of and then just uh, the like basically fall on it to get that in other souls games but now with a dedicated jump button not just like a little hop barely a hop or leap that barely gets you off the ground it's just like oh you can just jump to it and it's like wow this makes a lot of sense weird but it, it comes at a cost because not that there's a dedicated jump button through x your confirm button is now triangle and that really fucks me up um when learning when i learned the game because i'll like normally things that i would interact with in souls games i would press x it's like no this is a jump what are you doing you're just jumping i'm like oh oh yeah that's right and i think this is a a, a really kind of almost frustrating thing at times because for that particular boss battle that we're talking about like for me how i chose to approach it was um there were times where i wanted to go two-handed instead of one-handed with a shield but People can obviously, like in other Souls games, they can freely like put messages on the ground, and throughout that fight, there'll be like people's messages like in the middle of the boss arena and whatnot. And when I want to go two-handed, sometimes if I'm over that message, it'll just like pop up that message because the in control input is triangle and R1, and then obviously triangle is the confirm button, so it'll pop up their message instead of me going two-handed and then I'm dead. I'm oh. Like, oh, cool, you know. So I think that like those are the sorts of issues that like I hope they figure out because I don't want to deal with that. Because um, I'm, I'm a very kind of technical player when it comes to choosing like two-handed versus one-handed in the middle of combat, split decision, like second decision making. It's not whatnot. too bad once you get used to it. It's just like I'll be the first to admit that I had to like go online and be like, okay, so how do I like dual hand my greatsword? Me too. Me too. I I, I didn't go online, but uh, like a friend told me, it's like, oh, like I, I watched a video on this. It's how you do this. Like I didn't know how to two hand either. Like, yeah. And uh, honestly, 
they don't uh, list it in the controls either. They need uh, yeah. to. Yeah, I tried to look at the controls, and then like it, they don't have it listed. And then apparently, the way you learn how to two-hand a weapon was like there was like a message at like the very the dark beginner cave or whatever, or maybe yeah, I, I think it's like around there. People were saying, but I'm like, I sure missed that. I don't know, but um, yeah, that was weird. But you know, through the power of the internet, you learn how to do basic functions. So what um, uh, what weapon were you using, James? Uh, just the base. Uh, just the basic sword you get with the uh, Bloody Wolf. Uh... Also, we went the same build for the first character. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's, it was the uh, most popular uh, first one. That's funny. I, I didn't know that. I just kind of picked it on a whim. I'm like, ah, you know, this this looks kind of cool. Um, the, uh, also, like, another um, big change here, um, weirdly enough, from other Souls games is you get, like, you get like summons that you can just use, even no matter if you're like a, a magic focus class or a melee focus class. Like a, every sort of character has these um, summons that, like in the in the closed network test, you can like buy off of this merchant. There's like two summons and whatnot, but you can't like freely use them. You can only use them like in like highly like populated areas, like say like there's these ruins, and a lot of people. You can use them there. It, like it'll give you like a little tombstone icon at the left to like let you know, hey, you can summon. Uh, your whatever here, like like I I purchased a summon that summoned summon these three spirit wolves and whatnot, and they don't do a lot of damage, but they are good for distractions and whatnot. And uh, I use them for that boss, that 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 story boss, and it was really good at like racking up hits to like get it to a stun uh phase and whatnot. So like it, it was funny because like I uh they're like the wolves could kind of just like keep on attacking, attacking, attacking. They're like this one time. Right, you just see like a little lone wolf, like it was the last of a you know, one alive, just like hit the boss for like a minuscule like forty damage, but it was enough to stun it and whatnot. I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you go wolf. Well, so, you also uh, you talked about how they don't do a lot of damage, but they're useful for a distraction. I will be mm -hmm. the first to admit that usually if they're if when I'm playing a Souls game uh, and there's an NPC ally to summon for a boss, I like to do that, even though I do know it's kind of and some people consider it easy mode uh just because sometimes there's story implications like i do remember some quests in dark souls 2 i believe with the masked uh, lady warrior i don't remember her name like involve summoning her for bosses and then dark souls 1 had solaire for certain bosses um so i kind of like to do that just because it feels like it fits the world but also because it's like you i don't need you to do much damage i don't even need you to heal me just make them face that way <laughs> and so my there's a very specific reason after like many tries in the boss it's not even just like oh make the boss fight easier because there is still some element of it but um this game also like carries like mechanics from uh, dark souls 3 like the weapon art system mm -hmm. uh in dark souls 3 the weapon art system was like each weapon was bound to a certain unique skill that they can do in this game it does have that same weapon art system it's called like ashes of war or whatever and they're not bound by weapon you can actually like transfer them to between different weapons like hey i want this weapon to have like the thunderbolt ash of war which will let you like you know summon a thunderbolt from the sky to like the enemy and whatnot so it's not like it's not bound to just like oh this sword has the thunderbolt skill so i can't uh, i would have to use this sword if i want to use that skill now you can just like take that off that sword and like Put it on another weapon and whatnot. And it's easily bound and whatnot. So that's a cool thing. But I like I came across this. I forgot what it was called. I I came across this weapon art um, where I kind of became. <laughs> you'll know this, Brian, because you've been watching it. I became Saber from Fate Stay Night. Uh -huh. um, yeah, you, you know this now. Um, basically, this weapon art 
um lets you charge up your like it charged up my sword to become like a really big laser sword like Saber's Excalibur attack in fate. So I just had like uh I just became Saber for my fucking uh first character. So I would have the wolves basically distract the boss like the uh, the boss has like this uh, a certain moves that like are long wind up and as he's like targeting the wolves I'm just charging up my sword getting my fucking big ass Excalibur attack <laughs> to, to to slash it and does a shitload of damage, you know? And I was like, that's, it's so, it is so, like, I, I, like, I don't use this lightly. I know, like, there are certain implications when people say, oh, that game's anime or that's so anime. But, man, that weapon art is so fucking anime. So, <laughs> you know I don't what? know if it, I don't know. I don't know if it was a weapon art or if it was magic, but the gameplay trailer showed a lot of really cool, really flashy, seemingly really powerful like magic spells sort of things. But now, now that you, the way you've described this weapon art, I wonder if one of the, some of the things I saw, I assumed were magic, Probably. but maybe were weapon arts. Maybe, yeah. Like uh, I imagine a good chunk of them were weapon arts. like they still take mana, like the, your summons and your weapon arts. They still take mana, but like how an older. Like, you know, recent Souls games, they let you... I forgot I forgot Dark Souls 3 let you do this, where you can, like, distribute how much HP and mana pots do you want. So let's say you have, a, like, you have four flasks that you can take with you, but you have to choose between you want four HP flasks, four mana, four mana flasks, or two, two, or three, one, or one, three, or whatnot. So you can, you know, divvy up, like, how much do you want to rely on healing your HP, and how much you want to heal your MP and whatnot. Uh, just um, to clarify, that's a uh, a Dark Souls three invention. Yeah, because right. it was yeah. it was uh, Dark Souls three that added the Ashen Estus flask, which was for the uh, mana. Right. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been a while, but yes, that that was from Dark Souls three. Um, I think the biggest thing for me when it comes to this beta, like what much like what where did it really click for me? I was like, oh, this game is awesome. Is probably during the the dragon in the lake fight because. I did that entire. I, I did the first like forty percent of its life bar on foot, and that was really fun. It was like it was like almost like a I, like you know it was almost like Monster Hunter to be honest when I was uh, attacking it on foot and like it would it would go up into the air and then like it does like a like a dive attack with its claws. But honestly, every time it went up to the air, I was like expecting like a Rathalos like flip its tail, you know, attack. I was like. Oh, okay, that's right. There's not Monster Hunter, and then the and then the like the rest of the sixty percent. I got on my my horse. Uh, the, the horse's name is Torrent in this game. Um, you, I went on the horse and I just like kind of went back and forth, like hit and run style, charged R two and L two attacks uh, on it, and it made it feel really, really grand and you know impactful. You know, like a, like the the flow of combat, mounted combat against that boss. It feels really good. Like the charged R two attack on horseback is awesome but with a sword because you basically kind of uh you hold down r2 and then it like drags your sword across the ground and then you can let go of r2 to do like an upward flash on it so you can like delay your attack um and whatnot and that, that was just really really cool and how there are certain attacks that the dragon does where it does like a fire attack it'll be like the it'll be different fire attacks so sometimes it'll be like a spread sometimes it'll be like a a split fire shot and whatnot but when I was on the ground, like I was actually looking around the environment to see, okay, where can I go to like hide behind cover? And like there are these ruins nearby that there will be enemies in there, but like they'll die by the fire. So I'm relying on these ruins to sort of block me, but they're not reliable because the fire eventually gets through really fast. You know, you can't stay at one spot and um, 
expect that that'll be like your cover for the rest of the fight because it'll just go down. It'll just it'll be no longer useful after like the fire hits it a couple times. So you're you're I was like improvising on the fly. I'm like, okay, what what is my next move against this monster? And then have to think about like you're not you're not just bound by like the the arena. You're like you're thinking about like the aspects of the open world around you to um, make use of what what you can do essentially. Now the uh, the gameplay trailer showed a, a an open world boss, not not the one with the big hammer, but it was like I think it was on horseback. Was that was that boss in the in the stress test? Yes. Yeah. All right. The, and the now, mountain. does mm-hmm. the open world allow you to like this? This is a dumb specific question, mm-hmm. but can you like run away from it? Like, what what if you realize, oh shit, I'm not ready for this? Yep, you can just run away. All right. I want. I, I was wondering if it did the same thing that some games did. Uh, does do's does where uh they like create like an invisible barrier like oh now you're stuck now you can't run away you you've committed no it, it it allows you freely as long as it's not like a, a boss arena boss like you know the the big story boss you can freely mm-hmm. run away from those open world um bosses and then come back at another time or like it like for the dragon boss like after i died to the dragon boss i didn't have to spawn back at the bonfire or near nearest bonfire for it it actually gave me the options like do you want to spawn back here which is like the location of the lake or you want to go back to the most recent bonfire that you you spawned at. So you can, there's actually just like a re, like almost like a retry option for the boss fight uh, after you die. You don't have to like run back to it. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I like that. Um... Uh, but it's it, it's weird because it was only for that boss, like for the mounted boss, um, that's like already near a bonfire. But it didn't like it didn't give you the option if it killed you. It's just like it just spawned you back to the bonfire nearby for that. And the and the same thing for same thing for the story boss is like after you die to it, it's not like a do you want to spawn back here into the boss arena? It's like no, you get spawn at the bonfire outside. Yeah. So and, and it also might work slightly differently for the stress test. We don't really know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or the network test. Well, it's a named item and whatnot, so on the world map. So I don't think it's going to be different for the full release. I think it's like a an actual new mechanic. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Like, what are the limitations of that? Uh, then, depending on what they did decide, are like, I guess, I guess if they're gonna be like weird, if they're gonna have like tiers of bosses, of like, like the mini bosses, like the mounted one that you can just like uh, stumble into, like nearby, and it's like, it's like, it's like more of like a mini boss more than anything, because it, it can go down fairly fast if you know what you're doing for it, and then you'll have like some of the more quote unquote major bo- bosses and out of the open world. That are like at a designated like unique location that maybe you can like re- retry at at that location because it's such a unique location out of the open world. Or uh, so, uh, here's a question for you, um, Josh. Did you mm-hmm. make it to the island? Island? Um, I don't think I. I don't think I saw an island. Uh, so basically, know. there's. I, well, did you do any of the caves with like mini bosses in them? I didn't do any of the caves because I didn't find them. I didn't know there were caves. This is all new info to so, me. I, yeah. I, I did I did like the the mounted one and then I did the dragon one. Then I did all the like the, the wind area and then obviously the lead up to the story boss and then like the, the area after it. And then I have I eventually got to a point where it says, Oh, more to look forward to in the official release. Yeah, I, like, I, okay, cool. I actually just got to that a few minutes ago. But um I've done so let me look at my map. There are caves, and then there are catacombs, and then I also found a uh, Evergal, which had a uh, mini boss there too. Yeah, I need to go the, like explore those areas for sure. So I've seen. 
Okay, so there's caves and tunnels. And Wait, are these I, like are these actual terms in the game? Cave versus catacomb versus tunnel. Well, there's different icons for them too. But basically, the one cave I just did, the Descenders Cave, which is at the southwest of the map, which um, there's if you go into it and you go through it, do the mini boss and pop out. Uh, by keeping on going forward, you actually find yourself on the island off the coast, which you can't get to any other way. So I'm huh. exploring that now. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I mean, there's this. It's it's a it's a fairly pretty juicy closed network test. Like it's it's obviously like you know it'll take maybe you know four and a half to five hours to kind of go around, but that's I think that's a good enough like demo because it's just around the corner at this and it's point. Like, such a small slice of the game you can yeah. tell so it's like it's this game is gonna be big like really big it's yeah i i wonder yeah i'm really curious to see like what the final size of the map looks like and how much is there is to do because i think it's there's there's a fine line they would have to like really ba- have to balance between like how much it feels like you're wasting wasting your time versus like how much does it feel like you're actually exploring new things and how fulfilling that is um and whatnot because i don't want it to feel like like a checklist type of deal or like chores and whatnot i don't feel like it's there yet yeah yeah, for sure it's not it's not there yet because obviously it's such a small thing but you know as hours and hours pile on by um i because part of the things that, that i like about souls is like it's it's fairly guided in the sense that like you feel like you're you're making a meaningful progression by seeing new areas in them and like witnessing new things and like kind of exploring around, but you you kind of have a good idea of like where to go next. Like I think my my only concern about this game is um like if it'll feel too aimless essentially. And I'm still kind of I still kind of like fifty fifty on having like a compass, for example. Like I get why they added a compass, but for into the hut of this game, but I'm kind of like mm, I don't know if I like that. Just because I'm sure you think the it's full like, release will let you turn it off at least. Do you think the compass is just too like uh, signposty? Where it's here, here, here's like what? What does the compass show? I guess I'll ask that. The compass is basically like, uh, like it's kind of like your your Elder Scrolls, like kind of it's a line uh, across the the top of the screen, and it's like it'll show an icon if like you're looking at, at the right direction and, and whatnot, and. To be I, fair, I don't know. I don't think it's a big it's a big problem specifically because the game never like puts icon like waypoints on your map on its own. You have to like go on your map and place them yourself. So it's just it, way it definitely to, like, does, it definitely does for bonfires like like for fast travel and whatnot because it gives you fast travel right away between bonfires yeah. after like like I don't want to I want to mislead people like that say it doesn't put icons it absolutely puts icons on your map. Uh, well, no, I, I mean the compass. What I mean is, is that it won't like put a waypoint that'll like automatically. Put, well, no, it does that for where your um where you die. It'll let you know where the direction of that is. But that's basically it, at least in the network test. I'd have, I'd have to see how it manifests in the full game, uh, to be honest, to kind of sort out my feelings on it. Because I right now i i've i'm not saying i don't dislike i i don't like it i really like like the closed network test i just i just have my own share of like reserve like you know i'm I'm still kind of mixed on some things about it i'm not i'm not like head over heels about every single part of the of this closed network test it's just 
there are, there's definitely room for like I wonder how they're going to improve this or how this this will manifest in the full game relative to the the rest of the content. Yeah. When you gave the Skyrim comparison, I do kind of remember where eventually past a point in that game, I was and this this is maybe like a personal thing, but instead of being organically drawn to certain locations or areas, uh, how how it works in Skyrim is you'll have an icon and if I, it's been a while i should play the anniversary edition which also just came out uh <laughs> that if, if the if you haven't been there it's not filled in it's just the white outline but if you have it fills itself in so i would just yeah. kind of like beeline to all the outlines just to like get them yeah. on my map and that was what like motivated me to go there rather than having a quest or more just having wanderlust uh so that's my that might be more of a personal thing but like if i could force myself to go and turn off icons and just let my own curiosity determine my yeah uh, like I, I feel like i feel like it's like one of those things that like uh like sure yes you can have a toggleable thing and the main menu says on and off but i, I like it would speak more it would speak more to me if like it was just not a feature at all in the game like hey there's no compass in the game and whatnot and yeah like let your curiosity take over you and like essentially like don't feel don't feel compelled to like be signposty about it like you know it's just it's just one of those things it's like that's built into the game design itself not necessarily uh, an on and off switch it's like it just take cater the experience to you wh whatever you want it's like i get it i uh, that is uh, that accessibility thing but at the same time it it has the potential to kind of break the illusion of um self-discovery for me in that game well like it's weird because most I, I don't remember i don't remember if it's true for absolutely every previous from soft game in this style but they don't have mini maps they don't have maps so the fact that like now we have a you have a world map right they showed it in the gameplay trailer and you have like a compass attached to it that is kind of a bit of a paradigm shift you might say it's a necessary one due to the design of the game but it's just something to get used to i suppose because i'm you know most of us here except adam uh, are several entries in being used to kind of like making those mental maps in our head and just remembering landmarks and knowing like which doors we had to walk by because they were locked yeah. or we didn't know how to access yeah, them and I, now it's kind of like yeah I, li I, li I like i like building the map in my head instead of like oh okay like everything's kind of drawn for you you know to be fair besides like the direct waypoints that pop up once you've been to a location the map itself is pretty threadbare it doesn't really give you a lot of details about like specific things that are here and there. It's just like jo the general like shape of the landmass, pretty much. Like I said, like I said, it's not it's not like a big concern for me right now. It's just something to think about. I'm not like putting this game on like like oh it's shit, you know. I'm not saying that. <laughs> well I, I was i was more just tying in like oh that's different because it, it's this is a fact that i knew going in that most souls and souls like games don't have mini maps at least the ones from from software and I'm like oh that's different how is that gonna feel i don't know so that's mostly what i was the the, the tech yeah. that i was taking i feel like like we all knew that Elden Ring was going to be open world because they told us, but I feel like until you actually play it, it doesn't really sink in. It's like, oh yeah, this is open world, open world. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that like the, the those are like when it comes to when it comes to the Souls series or Souls games, like 
I kind of not saying I have my expectations baked in already, but there's a the, I, I I'm allured to the Soul series. I come to the Soul series now, like like I'm I walk in knowing what I like about the Soul series as I played throughout the Souls games through Bloodborne through Sekiro. Like I've I have a good idea of like what I like about Souls games. Not that not to say that I'm like opposed to change or like I'm I'm like immediately turned off. But I'm just—it's interesting to to see how this game will challenge um, what I like about Souls games. No, I see that. Now, I guess uh, the the gameplay trailer showed a little bit of questing involving some NPC characters, specifically a castle where some person in a side room would kind of like the game. It it made it unclear whether you could trust them or not. And then you also mentioned some NPCs near the lake where this dragon resides. So my general question is, is like, how populated is the world? Are you like running into NPCs frequently or infrequently? Or I'm just wondering like what the general cadence is in terms of like having other characters around or uh, is it more environmental storytelling with the markers left by other players? I guess uh, there's a decent amount of NPCs, but yeah. it's more like there is less npcs that strikes me about the fact that there's just straight up like animals like not enemies like not monsters just like animals everywhere just like you'll see a boar or you'll see like these like huge eagles they're not gonna attack you most of the time they're just there they're just chilling yeah is there any incentive to to fight them yeah because there's crafting ah that's right yeah so, but the, you know, the, there are still like NPCs here and there. It's not like you know a whole community of them, but the, the, it does still have like oh these uh, like you know people that you meet are you know kind of quirky, maybe not right like you know in the head and whatnot, or, like the way they speak to you and like they're very they talk in tongues like in your typical uh, tales games. And you'll meet obviously like in the gameplay trailer that they uh, showed off, you'll you'll eventually meet like your level up lady um, at some point. And then she'll kind of come out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, I come from the finger maidens and whatnot, and you seem to need a maiden. You, I'll, I'll stick around you and I'll level you up. I'm like, cool, thanks. And she, and she gives you the horse as well. It's like, have a horse. I'm like, thanks. Oh, I wanted to ask about that. Does the network test give you any insight into how customizable the 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 horseback uh, setup is in terms of which horses you get what skills they have if they have like stats attached to them i think it's just the one horse at least for now yeah because how the how the horse manifests is like she gives you like an item and it's it's basically a, a summon item for the horse so every time so you actually like summon the horse by like how you would use an item it's like you equip the item into your like your quick uh bar slot where you have your flasks and whatnot, and then you would uh, scroll down to it, and then pick it, and then the horse, and then that, and then the horse will come for you. It's not like a dedicated button to summon the horse. It's like it's just like using an item, and then after you summon the horse, you can still like use like flasks, um, summon things on the horse and whatnot. It's just uh, there's no indication right now, as far as a network test is concerned, that like this horse will be super customizable. The most the, the coolest thing you can do with it is what Jay's mentioned is like going through those geysers that'll make it shoot up into the air and the horse can double jump, which is sick as fuck. How does the horse come into play for uh, combat? Uh, there is mounted combat and there's some enemies that you really 
front to fight on horseback instead of not on horseback. But, but the, um, the horse will have a separate like life bar as well. So if they only hit the horse, like it won't actually like do damage to you. It'll hit like go. It'll affect the horse's HP, and the horse is kind of tanky. Though you can be knocked off the horse by some enemies, and that's a bad time. Yeah, when you get knocked off, it takes like a, a, at least four million years to get back up. And a lot of enemies have uh, special moves that they'll do if they see, ah, you're on your back. Well, I'm just going to stab my sword directly into your chest. The, and and uh, enemies also have like counter magic spells, so or counter counter magic moves. So, like for the second character that I'm using, um, like is like a mage uh, build, and like the first like the mounted boss that like you encounter, like it it, it revealed that you move for the first time that I had no idea about. Like I used like what's equivalent to a soul arrow in this game. Like I fired one at it, and it's like no fuck you, bitch. And like he like did like a just block with his with his shield, and then like it reflected back the the soul arrow right back at me. I'm like oh fuck, <laughs> that's cool. Because I I've seen some people like just through Twitter and through Osmosis talk about um I forget if it was Dark Souls one or Dark Souls two, but in one of those games when it was first released, uh specifically lightning magic was really overpowered, and people were like I hope they don't nerf this. I don't want it to be like another case of where they take lightning magic away from me again uh, in terms of the magic spell. So to hear that there's some counterplay from some enemies where you might think that a certain spell or a certain ability is really overtuned and then an enemy goes nope i was expecting that i, I hope that i hope there's more instances of that is, yeah is there like a is there like a firelink shrine equivalent or not really or whatever not really not at the so. moment not not, not the, the way that like the, the closed network test has like a very like like this is when you look at like the bonfires and like the way there's like no there's no indication right now of like there there will be a central hub yet or a, like a central safe haven yet there there might be later down the road but no. the closest thing I found was the Church of LA or Ella which has a smithing station and a merchant right next to one of the uh, lost uh, races yeah but the, but it's but it's such a small area that I don't think it would be like that so. If if there is one, it's not in the network test as of yet. Yeah, it's definitely not the exact same thing. I assume the penalty for dying is kind of the same as it's always been. Okay, Josh. So I'm going to grind out um, grace so I can level up my faith to 15 because I found out that the dragon heart I got for slaying the lake dragon I could use at the dragon communion altar at the island to get a spell that lets me become a dragon. <laughs> what is that scale, item? I'm really, I'm really proud of you. It's, a, it's, the, it's the item that you get for slaying the dragon at the lake. Um, I didn't know where the communion altar was, so I guess it's that, at, at, that island. I did read the description. I'm like, I have no idea where the fuck that is, but that's really funny that that's what it does. Um, to answer your question, Brian, um, repeat the question again one more time. I was just saying, I assume, I assume the penalty for dying is the same as it's always been. Yeah, games. so yeah. You, you, yeah, you just you just like drop the you know your souls and you have to go back to it and retrieve them wherever the fuck it is. This game has like no sort of like humanity system or, and or soul form and whatnot. I guess that's important to mention. You are always uh, like it, quote unquote in human form um, in this game. I do feel like that that sort of system has been weaning away since Demons and Dark Souls One. I don't even remember like if what was present in Dark Souls Three and and bloodborne uh, for that 
Yeah, Dark Souls 3 had embers. Bloodborne just didn't have anything. You just used a... Um, you just used a bell to use one of your insight to start summoning, I think. Oh, right. And yeah, uh, uh, it's been it's been long enough. Like the most recent game I played was Dark Souls 3, which was like 2017, something like that. So they're all starting to like mesh together. <laughs> uh, all yeah. the different experiences like one of them had embers, one of them had insight. I remember one of them, your, your health is halved. And then, of course, Demon Souls has the world tendency all on top of that. Uh, which was fun enough in its own right. I haven't played the Demon Souls remake. Yeah, this is a, this is as much of a departure as people are expecting. Like you know, Sekiro is a big departure. Like it's its own thing. That that's really its own thing. It's not like tied to Souls at all. Like it, the the only thing like I can like think about at the top of my head is like what did they learn from Sekiro into Elden Ring? Is like like enemy aggressiveness is probably like on par with uh, with Sekiro more so than other Souls games. Is there any like uh, I was gonna say either PvP or invasion mechanic? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I haven't done it, but there's items you get immediately that lets you uh, do it if you want to. In fact, there's a new item called. Uh, let, let me double check right now. It's called the Tonkter's Ton Lures and Invaders. Oh, that's an interesting. Like invade me, I dare you. Yeah. Now, I, I do wonder, are you gonna I, do stab me? Quote from Man Stab. I, I do wonder how PvP meta is gonna unfold uh, in this game because I don't. I don't think like Souls meta has really been like that good since like Dark, Soul, Dark Souls Two. Like Dark Souls Two, you can say whatever you want about it, but the PvP in that game was pretty damn good. Um, so I, I'm very interested to see how PvP will like evolve in Elden. Especially Not to mention what? with how much uh, magic kind of comes into play, you gotta wonder. Yeah, and, and that's an important thing. Is like mounted combat isn't really, or yeah, mounted anything is really a thing in multiplayer because once you go into multiplayer, the one restriction you have is that you can't go on your horse in multiplayer. That's Wait, a shame because I because one thing that would be really cool is if like people made like fight clubs where it's like mounted like horseback just using like jousting yeah that'd be sick uh the, I, I i wish they were able to do that but sadly not i'm sure it's a limitation because of oh i found another mini boss what number is this in terms of number of mini bosses you've stumbled into yeah this is like my eighth or something like that yeah so, Josh, you mentioned you're not allowed on horseback when playing in even in co-op. Yeah, I, th I believe that's the one restriction of multiplayer. Like, there'll be also like some places like that they mentioned in, in the game that like, oh, you can't do multiplayer at this like specific place, but it's fairly open where where, where you want it to where you want to go in co-op. But I think that's just one of those things that just couldn't be done. Now, how does the co-op work? Because uh, I. I think generally the rules are the same across all the previous games, but those were more like almost zone based where you could summon an ally where one of you would play host and you could only do it in a realm where the boss hadn't been defeated yet, if I remember right. And so it was very segmented and you couldn't you couldn't like play start to finish without resummoning a bunch of times. Uh, what are the limits? Have either of you tried? co-op multiplayer no i I, the, I haven't tried it myself that's uh the 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 limitation on the mounting is just like conversation that i've heard 
for people who have tried it on the mounting, but I haven't tried it myself like firsthand on like this. <laughs> I'm usually a solo player in these games. No, so. no, yeah, I, I'm yeah. just curious because uh, yeah. I was just um, I've always just wished that the the uh, the co-op in those games was a little less clunky. I kind of get why they did it, why they have it set up the way it was in previous games. But what it was, it was, it was kind of like a deterrent where it's okay. like, well, I'll so just here's summon some... these spirits instead. Go ahead, James. Okay, so here's something new. So after killing that mini boss, I, there was a chest and I opened it up and I got this thing called the Flask of Wondrous Physic. And um, now there's a new thing where it's like I can, you know, those like kind of crystal things you get, like the red one, the blue one or. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, with this menu, you can mix two crystal tiers in the Flask of Wondrous Physic. This will allow you to create physics with various custom effects. Mm. So. <laughs> OK, so I I can use the Crimson Crystal tier and then the one that. um there's one that's called the Rupture Crystal Tier. It causes concoction to explode <laughs> in mixed physic. Oh, like so there's like I, custom I, potions. I, I can drink this, mm -hmm. and now I have a potion that I can drink that will heal me, but also cause me to explode. Awesome. I am okay. curious to see, like, if there's uh, so many weapons and weapon art and magic and even, like, these these kind of, I don't know what you even call that type of item that you just described, uh, where people will find, like, interesting combinations to, like, find really effective builds around that. I mean, that's typical RPG build you will craft see right a lot there. Of, you'll, you will see a lot of goofy clips from this game in the full release, like, for sure. You know, you'll see a lot of just, like, weird shit going down, like, oh... I guess that's a thing. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, and the flask does replenish whenever you go to a uh, grace. So I can literally just... Uh, I basically got an extra custom, like, Estus flask thing. Interesting. Nice. But yeah, I mean, that's really, you know, all, all to really say about Elden Ring so far, like, you know, it's going to be out in three months. And it's a, the closed network test is like a really good first showing of like just getting hands on like you know impressions the the to a good amount of people. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, you know the, the the reception has been very positive on it. It's a good it's a good showing of like what to expect. It's like well, like the people who hold, who don't have access, what you should you expect? It's like it's essentially Dark Souls four. It's essentially Dark Souls with an open world. The control feel is uh, most comparable to Dark Souls three. Um, if you're trying to get a direct comparison of like how does how, does, how responsive your movement is, um, you have an open world, you have a horse mounted combat, and you know it's uh, if you if you like souls, you'll definitely enjoy this game. If you're looking to this game uh, as like something to really shake up the souls formula uh, in terms of like general combat and character progression. Um, I don't think it's like going to be the game to like, um, to, you know, to convince you that this will be like amazing, you know, or anything like. It's not. Like it's like the world itself and the progression through the game that's different. Less so the actual like combat. Like there is a lot of cool little neat things, like the the uh, new weapon arts being more focused on like magic and all that that we talked about. That's cool. And then there's obviously like the spirits that we talked about. That's also cool. But that's probably the least change that the game gets. 
people. That's yeah. the system of, that gets the least amount of change, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that because everything yeah. else so far is just it is a breath of fresh air, and it's really nice. Yeah, it's um like the like other like the only other thing I can really think of is just like the I forgot this in, in Dark Souls Three because it's been ten million years, but they they have like the the guard counter system whether of like if you block something with a shield, you follow it up with an R two. Or if it, I think it was R2 or... Yeah, I think it's R2, and then you'll do, like, an immediate, like, counterattack to get them to a parry state and or a stun state uh, to do a, an attack on them. I forgot if it was in Dark Souls 3, but, you know, that there's, like, those are all just, like, little minute, like, features. That's not, like, a something that'll, like, get newcomers who don't like Souls into it and whatnot. And, and obviously, there's still a lot of people that feel, like, burned by Sekiro because Sekiro is more skill-based. It was more about your understanding of, like, um how the combat works in that game and the flow of that game uh while a lot a lot of people like souls for rpg uh elements and that's what you know Elden ring brings back is you have stats you uh progress however you want to um while sekiro didn't have that any of that well, i think it, i think i kind of like that approach where they went with something familiar in terms of character progression and in terms of combat even though it sounds like they really did kind of uh emphasize like the magic and the weapon art sort of system and then of course obviously horseback so actually maybe they didn't i was going to say like maybe they played it safe there but played it more adventurous in terms of like the world design and the that in that aspect of the game but no i guess it's enough of a departure without like with so people who have experience with from software games will have something to latch on to where it's like ah i can make this comparison to demon souls or dark souls 2 or or maybe even sekiro if someone finds uh, a point of inspiration from that game so from what I can tell from your guys' description and from the uh, from the previews that they've shown so far, it, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. Like the the reaction and the reception to uh, the stress tests and the and the trailer, it just seems like it's a re- really well put together game. Kind of a, yeah. a, a a niche that hasn't been filled with a with a with some games in a while. I know if Alex Donaldson was around, he'd be like, "Where's Dragon's Dogma 2? <laughs> sort of thing. Um, oh yeah, well, fuck you, Alex. Where's Armored Core? Huh? <laughs> What now? Now, um, my I guess the one thing that I don't think we've touched on, and maybe we don't need to go too deep into this, is uh, performance. Like, uh, I think one of you's been playing on uh, PS5. We're both uh, on PS5. Yeah, all right, and it's been, and it's been fine. Or what's your takeaway? It, it's framey. It'll probably be better by the full release, but um, it's Honestly, not unplayable. It's just, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know how uh, James is running things because for me, it's been perfectly fine for performance-wise. It's been a solid sixty. I haven't that like uh, for maybe for big animations, like it's uh, maybe like hitched here and there, but it's been running perfectly fine for me. So I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's 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 also a few months out, so yeah. I've been I've been a performance for the PS5. It's been running like ninety nine ninety nine point five percent fine. Yeah, it's also worth noting that it defaults to the performance mode on PS5. So. Is that is that like 1080-60 or 1440-60? Uh, it's dynamic resolution. Uh, actually, just today, uh, they... Um, I think I... I forget the name of the exact YouTube, but it was like one of those ones that does those like comparisons. Not Digital Foundry, but one of the other ones. And they found that on average it usually is around 1620p on the performance mode which that's, if it's a solid 60 that's pretty damn good I say, that's, yeah, that seems pretty good 
Uh, but it's it definitely has dips and hitches. Uh, it's mostly probably frame pacing now. Like it, it's not terrible. It's not, and terrible. it's all, and it's also that's hopefully what this test will allow them to address on the back end. So don't want to like, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't know how old this build is. We don't know, like, well, as everyone always says, optimization is the last thing that's done. And I mean, the game looks really good on PS5. The level of detail the uh like it's really really impressive like the draw distance is really really impressive the foliage draw distance is also pretty nice so i have had a few like glitches where it's like a look away and then immediately look back and like it'll take like a split second for all of the grass to just pop in but besides that yeah i mean i'm not gonna nail down those two harshly right now because that's kind of the purpose of this test in some respects i would imagine also it'll, it won't apply for like all of us because we're probably all getting the pc release so it's like yeah sure thumbs up <laughs> <laughs> is the uh is the stress test on pc or is it console only oh no no oh no because no, no, they didn't want people to data mine it that makes sense well, no, thank you, too, for uh, sharing your impressions. And I assume you're going to keep poking away at that through the rest of the podcast. I don't know how long it actually goes on, uh, but I can't blame you because it seems like it's a really exciting uh, game that so many of us have kind of earmarked as putting aside time for it early next year because it's it's a sort of game that a lot of us have been waiting on for a while now. So the other game that we talked about at length last week with Adam's impressions was obviously Shin Megami Tensei Five. Uh, it did release just a couple days ago at the recording uh, of this podcast. So uh, I do want to set aside some time to talk on talk about it, mainly because I have been putting some time into it. And I know um, Josh has as well, uh, but we'll have more fuller thoughts, I think, in upcoming weeks because uh, we've only just now got hands on and only have a couple hours each into it. Um, I guess I'll start because the, unlike Josh or Adam, this is my first Shin Megami Tensei game. I've only, uh, Josh, guess which Atlas games I've played in the past. I'll tell you, it's two of them Devil Survivor and Soul Hackers. <laughs> no, Devil Survivor is one of them. So I've played Devil Survivor and I've played Persona 4. I know, very vanilla, but you know, I, uh, that was the two that I, I had. I, I shot for the moon with Soul Hackers. Uh, yeah, that was that. That was uh, that would have been out there if that was correct. I would have like just given you. I don't know, so much props. <laughs> but uh, I have I have watched you two play a little bit of Nocturne, the remaster that came out, and I've seen uh, Adam previously play through uh, like the the Rido games and the um, Digital Devil Saga D Digital Devil Saga games. Uh, this, but this is my first SMT game. I've not played Doctor and I've not played Four. I've not played anything else other than those other two, and I am about five hours in or so, and I am. I'll put it this way: I enjoy games that just kind of shut up and let you play, and I've 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 voiced that belief before in terms of like even jrpgs with a lot of cutscenes like xenoblade will have areas where it's like here's a new field to go have fun in, go just go do stuff like when you're in the guar plains or when you're in the um the the earth sea or things like that or um in final fantasy 12 when you're making your way to the uh the phone coast and you end up like going through map after map after map with not a ton of the way of dialogue it's just like 
go enjoy the game. Go enjoy the actual, like the combat and the progression and the RPG systems. We're not going to inundate you with cutscenes and dialogue and melodrama and character interactions. And that's kind of what Shin Megami Tensei Five. That's the itch that it's scratching. There's like maybe twenty minutes of of setup, of preamble, of you know setting the stage and then it's just kind of like welcome to the netherworld go have fun uh by the way this is how combat works this is what you're going to be doing 60 percent 70 percent of the time uh that's all you need go go do that and i've just really been enjoying it uh the the loneliness the i think the the um the soundtrack is actually quite interesting because it has like really energetic battle tracks and um very melodic very almost heavy uh, themes that kind of rotate in and out i can't i can't quite tell like what determines what battle track plays yet but there's enough variety that it's always pleasant to hear it but then when you're in the overworld in shimagami tensei 5 you just get kind of like some soft vocalizations and you get some like eerie kind of almost otherworldly not screeches but you don't know like where it's coming from or what it's supposed to represent it's more setting a mood rather than just like uh like Xenoblade, it's just like, we're going to play a song in the background. That is the theme of this area, which is fine, but it almost feels kind of fake, where in Shimagami Tensei, it feels more like diegetic, where it emphasizes the the mood of the area rather than just feeling like artificially, like this this theme belongs to this desert or this forest. Or it's this not just tundra. a melody. Right. Um, and like, I, I don't know why I'm trying to, I'm, not, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to reflect on my own conversation here, which is obviously just stream of consciousness at this point why did i immediately go to xenoblade as my point of comparison probably the fact well, that it's kind of go ahead a no, lot of people have made reference to xenoblade in terms of like how the world structure is in that it's it's not quite an open world game which i said that in my review i kind of you know, stated week, it's yeah. like semi-open world right and it, but it, it, it has large explorable zones and a lot of rpgs japanese rpgs are kind of going that route in some direction or another where you kind of have like these big field areas that you can explore or whatnot. Um, and I think Xenoblade was just sort of like one of the first to do it like that. So it's kind of just like the point of comparison for that sort of style. Of course, it's not like one-to-one exactly the same, but it's just kind of broadly like in that realm of structure. Yeah, the I think the the sound direction in this game is very, very strong. Like I think it's it's a very like eerie game, to to just navigate around like uh, we're still both in the first area but like the thing that really pops out at me is like how like scary it is to like travel around areas like you hear like a certain demon screeches or cries and you don't really you don't really quite understand like uh, how far off in the distance it is or how close it is until like you look at the map and it's like oh shit it's right by me you know and like and battles can like just kill you instantly if, it, if they go wrong if an like, enemy gets initiative it can go really badly for you if like a, a lucky crit comes in, it can go badly for you. So, like early on, battles and like just general enemy encounters are pretty scary. Um, I remember I have two comments. One, I was watching you play yesterday, and you were running along a highway, and you got these little Zen bird things like yeah. screeching and flying after you, and they even caught you off guard a few times. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then also like Andrea, another staffer for our site, was she's just she's been like playing through the game, and she hasn't done a lot of Shimagami Tensei either. And she says she's been playing in bed, and she actually gets scared <laughs> of like all the different sounds and demons as she like yeah. runs by them. <laughs> it's 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 rad uh, to be honest. But I like um, as Brian was saying, like it's it's a lot like Nocturne in the sense that like it 
it's very quick to like start playing and then like it, it you're engaged with co- with the gameplay and combat for a good chunk here on out there's like not really much distractions you may get the occasional cutscene to progress the story along but it just it's it feels so like you might have mentioned this last time on the podcast uh, when i wasn't here but it, it it feels so cool like as a person who's played through the smt games and like finally see like a fully realized 3d semi-open world like format for this series and like seeing demons roam around and like inhabiting the space and seeing like which demons hang out with each other like there's like a, a little like closed hidden zone in like the first zone where like there's like um i think a mccoy um uh what was that? The the like the old bearded demon thing. It's and like Kuroko poker oh, or something. Yeah, <laughs> I forget. It's some R's and K's in R. Yeah, <laughs> and like like in another demon. There's like hanging around this campfire in this blasted out building off of the side, and there's like yeah, you know, uh, there, there's nothing that's cooler than this like th- treasure that I have, and it's like really like mundane shit and it's like yeah you know what i would hang out with them if like the world came to an end this seems like a chill place and then like other places like where they're like the the demons the demons like they're like occupying like this cave and they're like they're just uh they're all asleep like bats but the moment you start running they all just like get they all aggro on you're like oh my god and it's it feels so cool to see that like realized now um uh coming from you know a long time SMT fan and seeing like wow that's it's a it's crazy it's crazy I didn't want to interrupt you too much Brian go uh, go on I I guess I have a couple comments first of all yeah. I have recognized some of these demons from Persona and from other like um, the other from Survivor but I they're they're unnerving but I just really. I'm trying. I'm trying to like ground. I wanted to say like I really love their designs. I just love all the demons. They're like creepy. They're cool. They're fun. They're they're distinct. They're. I just. I am enjoying pretty much every new demon I come across. Just just enjoying like its animations, its art style. Trying to guess like what element it is, what attacks it does. Um, so there's kind of like both gameplay and art there, kind of combining. Uh, and then like when I when you find when you meet some that actually have personalities like uh, in the early zone, it's like Asparis and Linan Shi, uh, however you pronounce that name, where you can kind of see like demons that have a little bit more power, a little bit more personality. Uh, you meet like this. I think he's like a smith at Pondatura who is hanging out with one of them. So like, yeah, like kind of what you said, which demons are friends. Uh, there's a very early demon, the Preta, who is like got a really creepy long jaw and like a pot belly where it's just like, oh, that guy kind of unnerves me. He puts me off. I don't like looking at him. But but that's cool. I don't know. I, I enjoy like having a demon around that kind of puts you on edge like that just because of his. Uh, uh, oh, just, well, this this kind of this sort of almost worked against me um, early on when you like get your standard, you know, pixies your first demon and whatnot. And then like it's like go talk to demons to for them to recruit, you know, so you can recruit them and whatnot. And then the first demons that like you see right after that first demon is like our predas and slimes that like people who played smt before they had they walk with the expectations like oh that's weird well i can't talk to predators and slimes because that's the like their their demon race and whatnot from previous games like you couldn't talk to haunts and whatnot they just you couldn't communicate with them 
And then I was like, this this is so weird that it's just like me and Pixie for like a while. And like I'm like struggling through these early battles because like there's only two of us. And then I was like, I don't know, like I'll, I'll just try talking to one of them. And then like I tried to talk to a slime. It's like, oh my god, you can communicate with a slime and recruit it in battle. Like that's like something that you can't really do in other SMT games because it's just it's a it's a haunt, you know? And it's like, what the fuck? Like that really uh, if, if, you're, if you're confused, like that the haunt and I think the foul races uh-huh. in the past like you literally just couldn't talk to them they were just like mess they were just like re- they would reply with like garbled mess of yeah. language yeah, i think so, slimes like, are fouls yeah i think you're right and, and predators were maybe haunts i forgot yeah so you could actually recruit them this time yeah there's actually an npc slime relatively early on who's like his his text is all garbled up still, but he's like, we've gotten better at speaking. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that was like a reference to for veterans. I just yeah. thought he was like he's supposed to be like a mindless sludge ball. I'm like, oh, yep. so he had he had to work really hard in order to communicate with me. I yeah. do also like the language. the The demons have personalities, and there's been like a meme image of a Mothman like cussing you out or whatever. But like, there was another demon who basically I forget exactly what he said, but he's near like one of the uh, dead ends in the first map, and he says like, "Get off your ass and go that way" or, or something like that. I'm like Jesus Christ, so yes, sir. Or like when you're negotiating with the demons and you try to have to like suss out their personality in terms of like this demon puts up his guard and glares at you. What do you do? And then if you like glare back someone's like yeah i respect that i'll join you or some of them are just like yep time for time for a fight because you glared at me so trying to figure (laughs) out like what the best thing to do is in response to those sorts of uh prompts i thought that you mentioned about the conversations i think this is the i get it but i don't know if i like the conversation system being so simplified in this game like in nocturne you know it 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 was a lot more hoops to like. I get it why they did this. It's one of those things of like old man yelling at the sky for no reason. But like the conversations feel too streamlined, where like you just kind of have to get past one or two checks of personality, and then the and then you basically give them everything they want, and then they pretty much join you. Like, yeah, in, in I, I, I have noticed that. Like if you get to, uh, what I've noticed is if you get to the point where they start asking for stuff. Um, so in demon negotiation, they will either ask for money or an item or some of your health and H or MP. And it seems like, as far as I can tell, as long as you give them what they want, they might ask for two, three, maybe four things. And then eventually they'll join you where I've seen like meme images where demons would previously take your money and health and then just say, Oh, never mind, sucker. And then, then they'd leave. And I'm kind of like, I hope there's still a small chance at that. I know it's inconvenient, but I don't also, I don't want to be overly convenienced where right now it yeah, kind of feels like maybe you are. Yeah, it's like it's like it, it feels too like oh, it's like almost guaranteed that they'll join you if you just uh, like uh, in in past games. Sometimes it'll be like oh, give me this amount of maca, give me a lifestone, give me this amount of maca, give me this amount of maca, give me a lifestone. It's like mm, okay, here uh, I have a cooler lifestone though, so I'll give you this back and then peace out. And it's like sure, yeah, you're at the, this much maca, but man, that was a funny interaction, you know. And I I kind of like that that sort of aspect to the games of like just having that sort of un- unsure whether you were going to be successful or not even if you quote-unquote did the right things just because uh rng fucked you but it uh, to me it was a more it was more amusing because of the res- of how it was it was laid out to you instead yeah, of like I, I, instead of always mechanically being like oh, okay you're you're, you're always going to join me if i give you what i want yeah i know some people really don't like rng in any form in combat in 
loot rolls or whatever. They just want it all to be like deterministic in terms of if you do this thing, you will get this item or you will you will recruit this demon or whatever. Uh, or or in like a game like Fire Emblem, like you will get these fixed setups. I hate random setups or whatever. But I kind of like a little bit of RNG just for that emergent gameplay. Like, oh yeah, I finally ran into a Tsukigimo or whatever you need to call him. And I thought the demon negotiation was going well, but then he took my revival beat and ran. Like, there's just some like emergent storytelling there. Like, with because that's one thing about this game that I think could be really neat is that because it does just kind of say, like, here are the rules, go have fun. And there's you can recruit any demon you run into and you can fuse them in different ways. And people saying like the first boss for me was really difficult because i didn't it was weak to ice or i don't actually know if that's true uh and i didn't um i didn't have anything that could support that and then someone else could just be like oh i had a mermaid and she was a she was a beast she was resistant to fire and strong with ice and she she ran the first boss over easily and there's so i like that people are going to have their own sort of personalized stories because the game is so story light in terms of what it is explicitly delivering to you instead it's just the story that the game itself provides through its mechanics through its combat through its progression and uh, the older i get i think the more that i kind of appreciate that rather than just being like yeah i appreciate like good character interactions i could tell you who my favorite characters from whatever other jrpg you want but i kind of like that this game is taking a different tact in terms of how it's delivering its story yeah and they're like just really interesting things to consider now it comes to it comes to to like what you would think about a traditional jrpgs like for example like the luck stat in this game is very different to how other rpgs uh utilize a luck stat because in this game with, with the whole uh what's it called the miracle system the magatsuhi system the magatsuhi skill that you get like at the, at the beginning of the game is if you use this when your magatsuhi uh, bar is full uh all attacks in, in in this turn will become critical so it's like what is the function of, of a luck stat in this game if it's not for like really like you already have guaranteed criticals at certain points so what what are you really getting out of the luck stat and while in 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 this game like in smt5 when it comes to luck um it's not really affecting like criticals it's affecting like skills like hey you'll get um a, an attack that attacks for like uh three to eight times uh, uh but they're, they're all light hits but they, they can accumulate for a lot of big damage if you can get all those hits in so if you raise that luck stat that's what it affects like those sort of like multi-hit skills that, that, that that's one aspect of it so it's interesting to see like how they have to like a like like tweak like an intrinsic part of jrpg stat systems to make it fit their game because they have this now this skill where you just get guaranteed criticals essentially um so that that's been interesting. The other thing that's been really interesting compared to past SMTs, well, agility has always been like a good stat to have. In this game, it feels a lot more crucial uh, to like general survival, especially in the early game, because um, agility affects obviously like your accuracy and evasion, but it also affects initiative and combat. Uh, combat. So obviously, if you sneak up an uh, enemy in the open world and you attack it from behind. You always get initiative, but if you attack it while it notices you, or like it's running towards you, you can still slash it. But it doesn't. That doesn't guarantee that you'll have initiative on it. It'll. It'll highly depend on like your agility stat, among other formulas they may have uh, in combat. And then the agility stat is also like pretty important, especially like when it comes to like hard mode, where like the uh, the difference between like twelve agility and ten agility matters because the ten agility 
a demon will like miss for like forever while 12 agility will still get like consistent hits in and not burn your turns uh missing and whatnot so it's very interesting to see that like every stat point counts and how you choose to allocate them um and whatnot and i'm sure adam already talked about all of this last week and along with all the subsystems of the essence system which is i think it's a really really um it's it's really cool like uh it, it does remind me a little bit of nocturne but it's more versatile and more um custom uh, it's more flexible on how you want to build your party and your main character and whatnot so i'm still obviously working my way through it I'm about a little over seven hours um it's it feels you're it still feels in the first cool. zone right yeah yeah okay i i it actually makes me feel better because like i remember saying like if you're a thorough player these zones take eight to ten hours and a part of me is like paranoid. Someone's gonna be like, well, "I did it in four hours or something." But no, okay. No, uh, if, if you're pretty thorough, I think yeah, eight to ten for finishing a zone. You know, doing all the quests and getting most of those little meme on guys, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's a uh, it, it's such it's such a cool it's such a cool game. Like I'm so I'm, I'm wearing my SMT five shirt right now from the Japanese collectors editions. Uh, Nerd feels good. All of us. The only other yeah. comment, since 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 Adam did talk at length last week about his impressions of the game, and Josh and I aren't very far, and we will almost certainly be discussing this game uh, in later podcasts. Uh, I don't want to like dwell on it too much, but the last comment I will say is I really just enjoy kind of like the I don't know if efficiency is the right word, but how how it's scaled in terms of statistics, in terms of like numerical values, where you start out the game doing. 10 damage a hit, 15 damage a hit, 20 damage a hit. If you get a 35 damage hit, you, that, that's a big number. And then like your stats are like eight strength, seven, seven speed. And the, what that allows for is whenever you are able to increment anything by any amount, whether it's through a buff or through a stat up or through like an item that increases a demon's agility by one, like those mean something. Or I just feel like it would have been less tightly designed if the numbers were inflated, if we had like values that were just simply twice as high, and I know you could just scale it or whatever, make make items that gave you one, give ten or whatever, but there's just there's just something that's pure about it where it's like we have the values set exactly where they need to be in order to tune the difficulty, in order to make very clear that certain demons on your team are well suited for magic abilities or well suited for thunder attacks, or or this one just has a lot of health, um, or this one does has a lot of strength but is not very accurate. And then the, the way that that interacts with systems like the press turn critical and missing. And Adam talked about this last week where if you crit, you'll end up getting yourself an extra turn. If you miss, you end up losing. Now, obviously, you don't hit, you missed, and you lose your next turn. So it makes those things really punishing where a battle that you have in hand and you feel like, oh, yeah, I, I know exactly how this is going to end. I have, a, I have a plan for this. And then all of a sudden, you just get a, an inopportune miss that kind of makes it so that you have to completely readjust your strategy and make sure that you have someone on hand that can remove a debuff or revive a character or or heal um i just i enjoy that I, I enjoy that i can't just come up with like a formula and just say like if i do these skills in this order i will always win so i am really yeah. enjoying like the balance and the tuning and even even little incremental battles against weaker enemies in the overworld they're not mindless you actually have to put thought into them and they can kind of go awry in an instant either due, due to a poor decision or sometimes poor luck uh which some people might take umbrage with but i don't so yeah i got my like my final comments on it right now is i really enjoy just the feeling of 
Like uh, you see it all the time, like in books and films, like of uh, a character getting stranded, like in the middle of nowhere in the desert and whatnot. You kind of hear that kind of that guitar twang to it of like, oh, what do I do now? I'm fucked. And that, that, that's like the feeling I get like uh, every time I get into this, like this a zone uh, affected by the abscess and there's like mm-hmm. a shitload of demons. And it's like, oh, God, <laughs> you know, like I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, there's so many fucking enemies around here. How am I going to get through anything <laughs> to get this thing? And like, I just really feel I, I like kind of like that lonely, not mindless, but that um, kind of clawing your way out of like a bad situation. This game is uh, is a rewarding experience. And I do like that it, it, it does have it, it has like a goofy, a goofiness to it that uh, I enjoy through its demons and its side quests. And whatnot. It doesn't take itself too seriously, which I really enjoy. Yeah. Another RPG that released recently, a couple weeks ahead of Shin Megami Tensei Five, is one that we wanted to talk about on the podcast earlier, but there were some release issues with the PC version, uh, and that is Undernaught's Labyrinth of Yomi. But and to get around the issues with the PC version, which I think have been fixed uh, as of now, yeah. but yeah, James went. James did go around and grabbed a copy of the Xbox version of the game, which I heard was a little bit of, a, of an experience to find one because that was the actually original version uh, of the release, yeah, but you I, wanted a physical copy. I wouldn't be shocked if the number of people that buy a physical copy of the Xbox version number in the hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. <laughs> so how much time have you uh, put into uh, Undernaught so far? About 24 hours. Oh, that's more than I actually thought. And whenever I think of experience RPGs, dungeon RPGs, I well, I guess all three of you are more experienced than I am on these. But I've seen you and Adam kind of like comparing this to uh, other titles like Stranger in Sword City. And like those comparisons, I don't quite know like exactly what they're founded on because I don't have uh, experience with those games. But just just tell me about Undernauts and like what sort of game it is and how it is unique in its genre. So the reason why I compare it to um, Stranger of Sword City is it's probably the one that sticks out in my mind the most, uh, which is weird because I feel like most people, it's like Demon Gaze, which was their uh, Vita exclusive one that came out like early in the Vita's lifespan, did pretty well because people didn't have anything to play. Um, So Undernauts is kind of a bit of a combination of all of their titles since, um, well, for a long time. Uh, it's got elements of Stranger Sword City. It's got elements of Demon Gates. It's got elements of some of their horror dungeon RPGs like Deathmark and whatnot. Like the art style is very clearly the same artist that does the artwork for Deathmark, Spirit Hunter NG, that sort of thing. Um, the one thing that stands out in my mind about some of their previous works is that they've always either been too easy in like Demon Gaze's case, or um, I haven't played it yet, but I've heard that's maybe a bit of the issue with Savior of Sapphire Wings is that it's maybe a bit too simplified. Um, but Stranger Sword City is kind of the other like end of the spectrum. It is without a doubt the hardest uh, dungeon RPG I played. I'm not sure if Adam agrees with that because I know he's played it a couple of times as well. It's not as hard as Elmenage Gothic, but also only like 5,000 people played that. <laughs> yeah. It's a difficult game, let's put it that way. Um, so Undernauts is really interesting because it kind of 
it's one of the easier dungeon RPGs they've made, but in a good way. Not in the sense that it's like, oh, this is completely simplified. Like, there are aspects of it that are simplified. Like, you don't have any, like, cross-class uh, um, systems like uh, Stranger Sword City where you want to, like, reclass a character, like, three or four times to get all of their, like, different skills from different classes and to buff them up to, like, an absurd amount or anything like that. It's more like you have this system called promotion where it's just once you reach a certain point, well, not even, it's not even level specific. Once you get a specific item, you can just promote them to either a specialist, which is just the advanced version of the same class or a version of the class that kind of borrows skills from other classes. So for example, if it's a uh, tank, it can just be more like defensive buffs, and stuff or you can um get abilities from like clerics and also from fighters so and like one of the abilities that they can borrow from fighters is uh, a passive that will automatically regenerate their health every turn a little bit stuff like that um one thing i remember from base game stranger swords and you never played revisited so i don't know how much that changed in revisited but it was a real pain in the ass getting like new equipment in stranger sword city because basically the main way you wanted to do it is there were specific spots in each dungeon where you could like lay in wait for enemies and then they would come by and they would have like chests that have a symbol on them that would tell you okay here's the types of equipment you can get if you fight the enemies now or you can wait and it'll be stronger equipment, but there's a chance that they will ambush you. And that was just a pain in the ass if you wanted to upgrade your equipment. It was just way too long. It took way too long. And it was not fun. The way it works in Undernauts is a lot better. Basically, you're almost always guaranteed to get equipment from enemies, no matter what. But pretty early on, you get access to these... Uh, Flowers, well, one of the systems in the game you have are these flowers that can kind of change aspects of the dungeon. You can, certain walls, you can place a door in them to just go through them. Certain tiles uh, are damage tiles, and you can, if you set a healing flower down in a map, any of the danger tiles, whether it be spikes or poison or what have you, won't deal any damage. One of the, the flowers you can use is the Mon Flower, and it'll set down a semi, well, a permanent spawn point for, for enemies in the location. And one of the things the game teaches you really early on that you can do to grind for equipment is, oh, this area has tough enemies, which it's a bit of a risky maneuver. But if you set down a bunch of Mon Flowers here, you can grind for higher like level equipment higher rarity equipment higher quality equipment and you can kind of streamline the grinding process at least for equipment that way by setting a bunch down and one of the things that one of the combat systems the game has is the boost band or skill boosts or i guess swap boosts i don't know the exact term but basically you have three specific boosts that you can um equip um one of them basically makes it so that you don't spend mp for skills and it automatically does the strongest level possible of a skill 
one of Wait, them. But this isn't. That sounds too good to be true. Like, what's the limitation on it? You just don't spend skills, or you just don't spend MP. You don't spend MP. But here's the thing. So basically, the way that the uh, boost system works is that um, you have three different types, and once you expend a charge, you um have to use um, have a turn without using any of these skills in order to start recharging the boost. Okay, that, that's what I was missing, is that these boosts cost a charge point or whatever. So. Well, it's not so much a charge point. Basically, as long as you... Like, each boost is a specific part of the boost band, and they recharge in a specific order. So let's say you use the overcharge, which is the damage um, boosting one, you use the duro charge, which is the um, defensive one, and you use the neuro charge, which is the speed one. Well, if you use them one after the other, and then you start charging up, the first one that will charge back is the overcharge. The second one is the duro charge, and the third one is the neuro charge. So um, if you want... So if you're in a tough situation because you've been using these skill boosts or, well, yeah, the boost band, and you want to use NeuroCharge or DuroCharge to either, like, get instant, like, skill usage so you can heal yourself up or DuroCharge so you can kind of defend yourself because it's like, oh, crap, I have, like, less than a third of, eight of my HP for my entire party, and I'm not sure if my cleric is going to be fast enough to heal everyone. Well, if you weren't careful and you're in that shitty situation, now you're just kind of SOL because it's going to charge overcharge first and you're just going to have to grin and bear it and hope you don't get your ass handed to you. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest, it's a little bit hard to follow this, but what I'm getting from it is that this is a, like a plate spinning RPG where you have lots of different gauges and charges to kind of manage in an order a sequence of operations that you want to do in a certain way or else it's just not going to work out as well as it could have. Yeah. And an example so. for that is, is that if you kill, if you finish an encounter with a neuro charge, you will get, as far as I can tell, double the amount of equipment drops from a chest at the end of the encounter if a chest drops. So there's also a bit of uh, a way to optimize how much, grinding you're doing that way if you are smart and you can time it so that the neurocharge also ends the encounter you get way more gear and uh, that works in both ways like the game's really smart in the sense that your currency is used for basically everything so it's well ag so you can use it to um, buy stuff in the fusion reactor to basically build stuff up so you shouldn't do that for most things, but you can also use some um, AG to um, to enhance your equipment. So let's say you do a bunch of grinding to try and get new equipment. You don't necessarily get anything stronger, but you can break down all the equipment you did get for AG, and then you can use the AG to enhance the equipment you already got. So no matter what, your grinding isn't pointless because it's going towards a currency that you can use to enhance your equipment at the absolute worst i do Makes like the so. uh i do like the metaphor of the plate spinning rpg just that's a good that's a good mm -hmm. visual aid for that sort of uh idea so um the level design is pretty nice too um i feel like in stranger sword city it tried to make each dungeon feel unique but each dungeon didn't really have like a central 
theme to it, it feels like. Unless, like, oh, you can't use spells in this one as a theme, in which case, screw you. Um, Undernauts, each dungeon has a specific theme. Like, there's this one where it's, like, a kind of, like, graveyard, and there's a bunch of different, like, uh, monuments to these seven heroes, and you have to, like, go to different parts of the graveyard and restore their titles because, for whatever reason, they've been scrubbed out. So you need to, like, read the epitaph and figure out, okay, which of the seven titles does this fit? And then the last one is completely scrubbed out. So like you have to do this, the other six ones first and basically order of elimination be like, okay, it's gotta be this one. Cause I've done the other set, the other titles and it's like getting to each of them. There's like puzzles to get to them. There's like a neat thing where one of them says, pay attention to your surroundings and figure out which, um, tile you need to make a door on because there's like a section where you can kind of look beyond at the path ahead and it's like okay there's spikes in front of these walls or there's enemy encounters in front of these walls so i want to place the door on this wall because it won't lead me into a spike or an enemy encounter and then in another dungeon it's kind of similar to three towers in uh Labyrinth River Frame where it's like you need where there's like three separate sections to each of them to the map and you're like going up each of those towers to the top to do something. It's a smaller scale version of that, but it's like a similar idea. Um but there's less kind of running around like figuring out different location, like different ways to get into each tower from different um areas. I still think um I still think the identity that Labyrinth River Frames dungeons are probably some of my favorite in a dungeon RPG just because of how different each of them feels, but it's still pretty interesting, at least for experience and standards that they managed to finally make dungeons that actually feel like they have their own identity and their own central gimmick to them without feeling like the gimmick is just meant to annoy you. Like overall, and I'm pretty far into the game now, so I feel somewhat confident saying this, if I were to recommend a dungeon RPG to get somebody into the genre, I feel like Undernauts would be a pretty decent one to do it because it's not simple enough. Well, it's not too simple where it feels brain dead, but there's enough depth to it to kind of get you hooked with the exploration, with the combat system. It's not, it respects your time to a certain degree with how much you can, well, with how you grind out equipment and whatnot. It doesn't really punish you for failing, unlike Stranger Sword City, where it's basically like, well, reload. And it just, it's not the hardest dungeon RPG I played, but it's, it's, it's a comfortable experience, if that makes sense. It's a comfortable playthrough. It's challenging enough without feeling like obscenely frustrating. Yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. Do you think that, uh, are you enjoying it enough that you think it will have, it'll be in the discussion in a month or so for best games of the year? At least top 10. I'm not, I'm still not sure about top five because I haven't finished it. We'll see, but it's definitely at least as far as I'm concerned, it's top 10 material. Well, uh, by the time we get there, I'm not sure exactly what everyone's slate looks like, but uh, we'll probably and we'll we encounter this every year where you might have to make a case for it, depending on how crowded the uh, the list is in terms of not many people played it. But you'll have to, um, you know, try to substantiate that standing if if the top 10 is looking to be really crowded. Uh, Adam, I I do plan on playing it. Uh, I I, I bet Adam will. That's what I was going to get to. And luckily, I've I've. 
pretty much 100%ed Shin Megami Tensei Five already because I was, had early so access awesome. to it. So I don't have to. So I don't have to worry about that this month. So I'll I'll see if I can get around to it. I'll try my hardest. All right. Always a difficult stuff about end of the year, trying to make sure that we try to hit all the bases and give every every title, whether it's a dungeon RPG or a big Atlas game, their fair shake when it comes to uh, final deliberations. The last game that we have slated to talk about ahead of the uh, honestly kind of light news section for the week is uh, another game that released right around when Undernauts did. Uh, that's Super Robot Wars 30. So we obviously talked about this game before it released and when it released uh, with Josh spearheading the conversation there. We do have some more details coming up about uh, the, the DLC that they've been kind of dealing out what the info is and doling out the, the release dates for those. Uh, but did you have like concluding thoughts after having spent several dozen, if not triple digit hours in Super Robot Wars 30, Josh? I fucking lied last time I talked about this game uh, when it turned in terms of like, I was like, I'm not sure how far I'm at. I'm like, maybe halfway at halfway. Cause you know, I would think like by the 30 to 40 hour mark in these uh, games, um, the, uh, the recent releases, like that's about, you know, halfway ish. Um, my final time on this game was like 130 hours, give or take. Um, it is one of the longest Super Robot Wars games in the entire series. Um, I really enjoyed it. I I, th- I think it's a really uh, it's a lot of content, uh, f- especially for a newcomer going in. D- definitely go about it at your own leisurely pace. Um, I I kind of wanted to get it out of the way before SMT five hits. Um, and you did it like just in the nick of time. In the nick of, in the nick of time, yeah. I mean, I, like it was. It, I probably got it done like maybe two days before uh, SMT unlocked uh, digitally, but it. It's a it's a really fun ride. I it's probably in my top five of these games. Like if I were to rank S Super Robot Wars games, this would probably be in the top five of them. The the non-linear structure really does it wonders, and it did like it was the right decision to like um, place a heavy focus uh, uh, and emphasis on it when uh, they're talking about the game because it 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 you really did feel like you were kind of choosing your own adventure in a sense of like how like that. Obviously, this uh, there's a huge roster to these games of like uh, anime series. Uh, this one has had like a novel series that has never been animated, um, and whatnot. And obviously, you'll have uh, your favorites among them. And then it's not like in the previous games where you're kind of have you're, you're you're being strung along uh, by the story, dictating like, oh, what will you get next and whatnot. Maybe you have to wait till stage twenty to get one of your favorite uh, series finally involved. Uh, this one is like, okay, you know, you, you can you can kind of recruit the ones that you like and then get more as you move along um i think what really uh caught me off guard though is even after the 130 hours um this game kind of ends on a cliffhanger note uh it doesn't end conclusively the the game kind of ends on um in a state where it's like oh no uh there are more uh threats uh to deal with than we originally planned because of, of the events that led up to it. So it's sort of, well, I guess we're sticking with this uh, badass like crew on this airship. Um, so no one really goes their own separate ways at the end. It's kind of the battle rages on, I assume. I don't know for sure if it, like the DLC will wrap it up, but each DLC drop has 13 main stages, and then the onboard missions are kind of their own separate mini-missions, like op- either optional missions or challenges stages or whatnot. So they're not part of the main plot. 
but the I I wasn't I didn't think that the DLC would have like story DLC or stages part of it. Like that's what I'm thinking it'll have. They haven't really said anything about the DLC stages. And that the the first one of these is coming November sixteenth um, or seventeenth, depending on time zone. And I've I'm at this weird like juncture now where I'm just like, well, I guess I should just wait for the rest of the DLC to start start it because I kind of wanna. I, I kind of still need more time to kind of rest from it all, and also just I just wasn't prepared for like an inconclusive ending, and I kind of wanted one. So I guess that'd be the thing that really caught me off guard. And the the power curve to this game, the power curve in my game is like fucked to all hell because of there were in the game where you're upgrading your airship. Sometimes you'll get like items from um, upgrading it. So like there'll be items that like. You know, you can uh, cast this, and it'll do. It'll you'll make it so for this turn you'll always uh, hit an enemy, or you'll always evade incoming enemy attacks. Uh, it, at some point, it'll give you items that says, "Oh, if you use this, it'll cast um, a spell on all your units that'll double their experience and money for the first enemy they kill on the map," which really stacks up over time if you keep using this on the stage, even though it's usable once per stage. It adds up because uh, average enemy level is always scales uh, to around like the average of your units. So by the time I was like maybe seventy percent of the game uh, uh, of the way done in the game, like a good chunk of my people were already level ninety nine. So that means like all the enemies and bosses I faced were like level ninety nine <laughs> and whatnot. And I was like, uh, okay, I guess so. It was it was weird. It was weird because I don't. I never usually like max out units in these games. I kind of like my final. Level you just kind of stumbled across it without even trying. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so that was. I wonder if they're gonna like unlock level caps and whatnot. But but who knows? It, it was it was a fun ride. Uh, I, I I didn't I didn't hate it. it the, naturally, in these kinds of long games, there are definitely periods where it could feel like it's dragged out, especially in long strategy RPG games. I think it's just it's hard to get around like. You want to make a long game, and it's a strategy RPG. Um, of course, there'll be times where it feels like it's dragging out, especially like in this sort of like crossover series where they're trying to include elements and ele- uh, episodes from like you know the relevant anime series and whatnot. So like this stage might be like referencing or following the events of certain episodes from this episode uh, from this anime series that's crossed over with another anime series and whatnot. So it's um. It's cool. Like you know, I I really enjoyed that a lot. I'll write a review when I get around to it. Uh, uh, hopefully soon. Uh, it, I'm still trying to gather my thoughts on it and thinking about what I really want to say on it. But I, it's, it's a it's a big improvement over the the previous trilogy of games like V X and T, like which are decent games. Um, it does share some of their problems. I mean, it it shares some some like longstanding SRW problems where you know the level design is. Um, kind of rote and like boring in a sense. Like the 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 map layouts are they're they're always flat. They always feel flat. Um, terrain doesn't really make a big difference. There there have been previous entries here and there that do that mess with the terrain and whatnot. And those were fun for me because I like interacting with stages. Um, and difficulty wise, it's still pretty simple. Like especially on expert mode, when like in the hardest difficulty, like eventually you'll come to a point where. Like you'll kind of overpower anything that's coming towards you, even if they're level ninety nine plus. Um, even on it, expert it, mode. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's not it's not too big of a problem if you know how to like build up 
you know your units and it, it it's not it's not crazy or anything but it's it's kind of a weird it's a weird difficulty design philosophy problem with like the whole premise of the crossover series of the SRW games because at the end of the day people what people are really going there for is not for difficulty it's for fan service you really want to you just want to live the experience of like what if you know these characters from Gundam interacted these characters from like Code Geass or something or in Mazinger or Get a Robo or Com Battler you know you're not there for like a hardcore strategy RPG simulation experience uh, you know, most fans are there just like just have a good time, and you know I get it. And th- there have been like times in SRW where it like they were difficult games, and you know a lot of people were, were miserable um, throughout it, especially early SRW games. They, that, those were difficult games. So I don't know. It, I'm not really sure what I want out of the, the difficulty scaling in these games anymore. But <laughs> I think about it, I'm like, mm. but it's um, it's it was fun. I, I enjoyed it, uh, my time with it, and I'll I guess I'll wait for the DLC to come out. Um, well, I, I, I do. I, uh, I do empathize because uh, you you said it took you like 120 hours, and like that's about how long it took me to do the last game that I had to review after the fact, which is Pathfinder. So I do like RPGs get long, or yeah, you know, yeah, they do get long. Yeah, I, I did have a blast. Uh, there, there were a lot of moments that like uh, I, I really dug because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of for a lot of these series, so. It's not to say that like you need to be an expert in all of them, but they're like little neat touches and references. It's like, oh, that's cool that they got them in like like the little chibi forms of the uh, Ray Earth girls. Like they were able to manage them through using like grid bands, uh, like you know, old PC machine in that show, and that's how they kind of justified that. It's like, oh, that's a really fun like way to like sneak them into the into the game in a little small way. So we will obviously look forward to the review on that. But, you know, I know we're, all of our schedules are really busy as we go to the end of the year. So uh, understand that if it will take a while for that. Before we go into the news section, we have a couple other things that were uh, written up for the site in terms of uh, previews. Well, one of them is kind of a preview. And that's uh, James has spoken on the podcast uh, previously about his time with the currently Japanese-only Kuro no Kiseki. Uh, he went ahead and wrote up a feature for his impressions on the game up for the site titled Kuro no Kiseki ushers in a new dawn for the Trails series. And obviously the the story there, well, actually, I'll, I'll just hand it off to James. So uh, I know you've talked about Kuro at length, but just like the the context around why you decided to formalize this and write it up. Well... I mean, if you've read it, it's basically uh, a review in all but name. I'll, I'll say that much. Um, and uh, yeah, I and I think Josh agrees with me here. We were both kind of disillusioned with Trails after Cold Steel 4. And Kuro really did a lot to uh, fix a lot of the issues that we had with the, that the series was kind of really uh, having recently. It's just really impressive how much they managed to turn things around for me. I'm really impressed. Yeah, it's you know, uh, <laughs> it's it's a, just a really it's a really funny and fascinating game of like I, I'm I'm very interested to see uh, more impressions from people who are able to play it. Whether it's like like the spreadsheet translation that I'm sure it's being worked on or the official release and several years i'm just i'm very curious to see like what people think of it like like i I don't know if i'm crazy like you know when i think about that game i don't know if i'm like man am i just really like 
at at some in some weird like mental exercise like i i kind of feel like like do 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 i like it because i was like so fed up with trails in general that like i'll just take anything at this point like anything that's slightly better i'll just think of like a masterpiece or whatever or or like amazing like i don't know um so that's why i'm interested to hear like a lot more perspectives on it but you know james and i and and, and a friend of mine who who played through it like we're just all we came from like very similar mindsets of the trail series going in being like i don't know about cold steel after or the trail series after cold steel and like sure hajimari was a cool game and it's in the right direction but still really that didn't really completely shake off like you know the the recent problems of trails and this game is like oh okay they they have it in them to like make a good one of these again you know and yeah that's the you know the James's article uh, and review and name, uh, you know, but says it all. Like it's it's a it's a cool game. It's a, it's a really good uh, one of these. Uh, yeah, I'm I am hoping that Falcom doesn't um, do a Falcom. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping they don't like, like go. I, I'm hoping they don't like uh, they don't like backpedal or do a 180 on like the things they introduced in this game and like kind of just take out a lot of the cool ideas narratively that they kind of set forth in terms of atmosphere and tone in this game. Um, yeah. Especially when it comes to, like, uh, f- some reception from fans. Like, there are definitely, like, re- there's actually feedback from, like, fans, like, going into this game that's like, oh, but we don't like this character. We don't like what you did with this, like, story beat. And, like, those are things that I really like that they did with the game. And it's like, I hope they don't give in to them, you know, because I think that's actually a step in the right direction of what they're complaining about. <laughs> Yeah, I there's a lot with Kuro that I I am still worried about what can happen because I was not a huge fan, but I was generally fine with Cold Steel until like Cold Steel 4. And it's definitely possible that some of the issues that I had with uh Cold Steel can still creep their uh their um, themselves back in. Yeah, you just you yeah. hope those habits are fixed and not just everything seems yeah. fresh because it's a new starting point. I do think I, that inherently, though, the fact that you have such different opinions on uh, Cold Steel 4 and Kuro, I think that's just inherently interesting rather than just saying, like, I enjoy all Kaseki games equally. They're all great. Like, that's just a, that's a boring opinion. It might be a true opinion, but I just think it's less interesting inherently where you can actually pinpoint and say, I don't like these aspects of storytelling or design in Cold Steel 4, but Kuro brings this and this to the table, which really brings me back on board with the series. So the, the fact that you're able to uh, evaluate it like that, I think is I, I personally uh, really find that far more believable than people who just like accept, you know, anything everything all the time you know it's just like but but i do agree with uh it's convincing it's more convincing (laughs) i do agree with josh though like obviously not specific to this series because i'm a few games behind but when you uh are playing a game you're like i'm really enjoying this but should i be am i just did my standards lower or or things like that where you're you're like am i allowed this (laughs) i feel like i understand the concerns but there is enough that i can specifically point to for what Kuro does miles better than in some cases every other game in the series when it comes to themes, when it comes to actually taking a hardline stance and the story actually feeling like it has a message. Where like I enjoy trails. There's a lot of really good games in trails, but most of the games don't really 
have themes like a like a strong thematic um like backbone to the story at least i don't feel like it does and pro absolutely does and there's some things in there that i don't want to spoil but i i know josh understands what i get at when i say that there are going to be some aspects of the fan base that are going to be really angry at this and fuck them fuck them because there's some really really cool stuff that kuro says and does that is actually kind of well not kind of really surprising after the cold steel arc uh, I, I, it's very. It's going to be very um, exciting to see the Western Trails uh, fan base and uh, their opinions on immigration issues um, by the time the game comes out. Yeah. So check back in four or five years. <laughs> let, 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 let's see uh, if the if the noggins over the Trails Western fan base can really spin up and please work, please work this time. I believe in you, Trails Western fan base. You won't let me down this time, right? Right. Right. <laughs> the other similar preview that we've got up on the site, we already kind of discussed at length through James and Josh's experience with Elden Ring, but we also do have a formal write-up from Alex Donaldson, who also basically went hands-on with what I presume is the same slice of the game. So if you wanted to get a more written impressions piece on the Elden Ring preview opportunity uh go ahead and look on that on the site uh the title is Elden Ring hands-on a formidable open world sorry open adventure possibly from software's best game yet so similar high levels of praise and excitement for the uh, the upcoming RPG also uh, as we spent uh, at length talking about Shin Megami Tensei Adam who has basically bled this game for like the last four weeks obviously he wrote up the review obviously he's contributed to the discussions of it on the podcast he has written a ton of guides with the assistance of colin black and um andrea as well uh, for colin barely helped i'm just gonna say i oh, kind of okay. found some ideas off of him but well he helped sorry <laughs> all, right. all right all right with minor assistance <laughs> from colin black uh, and andrea um so um we have a lot of guides, whether it's about... Why, 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 why does Colin get the blast name and Andrea doesn't? Oh, That's the Andrea Sheeran. Sheeran, all right. Sheeran? <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they have contributed to the guides, and some of the guides are uh, just simple stuff. Some of the guides are full, like, quest lists and um, basically dialogue choices. There is a guide on the endings. It's all up there. It's something like nine or ten in total, or at least but Adam, eight. what's the canon protagonist's name? <laughs> Yeah, there is one. I so those answers. are up So anyone who, if you're looking for details, large or small, in Shin Megami Tensei Five, we do have them up on the site. So thank you so much, Adam, for putting those together. I know it was a lot of work. All right, the news section this week should be pretty small. Not a lot uh, was announced in the last seven days. Uh, so we'll just go through these and see what we think. Uh, we do have a release date, another one for quarter of one of next year, and that is Elex Two will release on March 1st, 2022 for all consoles and PC. Well, not Nintendo. For PlayStation 4, 5, Xbox One series and PC. And when you just rem- you just reminded of when you when you said all platforms except Nintendo, you reminded me of when Nisa announced Trails of uh, Zero to Zero and Azure. Like it's coming to all platforms. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like it listed like PC, <laughs> no Xbox. Yeah, everything but Xbox. But it says coming to all platforms. Apparently, and we all have different uh, definitions of what all platforms means. Uh, so 
the thing is, is that other than the release date, uh, we've talked about Elex 2 when it had it, when it first, it's kind of been known release for a long time because it's been in like the um, THQ's like financial plans for a while. It was like all but announced. Then it was announced in the summer. And then we got a story trailer a couple months ago. But there's just not a lot to latch onto here. As someone who enjoyed the original game, despite realizing it was kind of mediocre, but had some smart, fun ideas and some really good quest design. All we're still looking at here, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but we have like the initial announcement with some very honestly bad looking like screenshots that look terrible. Remember the shot of the jetpack over like the desert that looks like a last gen game, like two gens game. We got a story trailer, which I think is like utterly uninspired. And then we've got the um, this announcement of the release date, along with like a collector's edition, which who cares? Uh have we seen we haven't really seen much of anything and just like how this game looks and plays so it's hard I, to really get excited for they it. showed gameplay at like a press event sort of deal like an online like press gathering or whatever and okay. i think i think um maybe they gave some b-roll for people who like creators that want to make like preview videos like here's some b-roll footage that you can use but like outside of that I don't think they'd have like a gameplay trailer. And to be honest, the gameplay they showed, it did kind of just, you know, imagine what you'd expect a modern Eurojank open world RPG to look like. And like, yep, there it is. I don't think people played Alex for its visuals <laughs> or its yeah. like design, like aesthetics, perhaps. Yeah, I don't like how the protagonist looks. I think that the premise doesn't seem that interesting. This is going to be kind of one of those... Uh, wasteland three situations where i'm just gonna have to dive in anyway and hope that there's like a diamond in the rough because right now most of the marketing i think is pretty rough uh it's and it's weird because it's not like elex one has like a high standing it's not like it was like this amazing game that people like unanimously agreed was worthy of a sequel a lot of people didn't like elex one it's not rated that highly uh but it kind of has a little bit of cult classic as much as it can be for only being a few years old and it's kind of like writing that into the sequel. I, I just I just hope it ends up being uh, an improvement over the first game, but no, nothing about it so far really suggests. Are you planning on playing it? Well, I would say yes, except for the fact that uh, this is March 1st. And well, when is Elden Ring coming out? Uh, like February week before. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's a, yeah, February 20, yeah, it comes even, out like a week after. Elden not even Ring. a week. Not even a week before. It's like because February is short. Yeah. Like uh, how about this? Before. I will play it before Game of the Year deliberations <laughs> 2022. Yeah, there, I'm giving my. Yeah, what I'm if Elex Two is Game of the Year? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm hoping if if it, I will, I would love to be surprised. It's just that it doesn't. It's not selling itself well, at least not to me. And I enjoyed bits of the first game. Uh, we should have probably talked about this when we were talking about uh, Kuro with the write up. Uh, shout out a couple minutes ago, but we did get confirmation that Nihon Falcom will release a new title in the Kaseki slash Trails series uh, by September of next year in Japan. So this wasn't really a surprise because we do know that Falcom has been doing annual releases for a while, typically hopping between uh, Trails and East. Uh, basically, this just came out of the uh, their fiscal year report that ended in September of this year. It's for next year, it will be another Trails title, a follow-up to Kuro. No East title in the pipeline, as far as we know. So that's pretty much what gets nailed down there. So like the like this will be the third consecutive year 
there'll be a trails uh, title. I'm trying to think of the last time they did that. If uh, of a of a third uh, three times in a row for trails, I don't know if they've ever done it. To be honest, well, I know some people were hoping it might be East because this is the 35th anniversary of the East series. Uh, but as far as I know, no no plans for a new East yet. No, no, uh, one, cares, no one cares about East. Come on now, we have trails now. Uh, trails, uh, Adol Humston, who? Huh? As as part of this briefing, there was a an uh, an, a nugget that might be a bit interesting that Falcom will start releasing switch games on their own, starting with Nayuta boundless trails in, uh, next year. We also did see the Nayuta steam release uh, supported by uh, P3 go up uh, on steam for the Japanese release of that. So th- that there's just some interesting momentum there in terms of Falcom's uh, publishing, at least in Japan, in terms of uh, platforms are supporting partnering with P3 for a PC release for a Japanese P3, a Japanese PC release. So just kind of some interesting momentum there. And it seems like, are these the cogs that need to start turning in order for uh, needs to have less on their plate for, for localization efforts? If it's already got a switch version in Japan, once, once it gets to that, I don't know if there's anything else to really glean from, from that particular piece of information. Uh, okay. How, uh, how many trails games will we be, be, we be behind uh, by the time, um, it's very, possible. it's very possible that this unannounced trails game or untitled trails game will release before we get zero yeah for sure that, 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 that's, that's like very zero possible. is supposed to be fall next year so it could be before september but it could be later you know it's just like <laughs> like a, we, we might be facing like a weird situation where like three games behind by the time hajimari comes west um oh. I, I, was I was actually and azure are both 2023 right Yes, and yeah. as Boundless Trails, but that's like a spinoff. But I was looking into Josh's question about like, have they done three three titles in a row before? The answer is sort of. In 2010, they released Trails from Zero in Japan. In 2011, they released Trails to Azure. In 2012, they released Boundless Trails. Okay. So, like, does that third game count? <laughs> yeah. But also in 2012, they released Memories of Salsetta. So they released two games that year. Um, my overall take on this like announcement is that I honestly find it kind of boring just to like another Trails game like I don't know just uh, it's Falcom's Call of Duty Falcom is Activision now the only focus new on material I don't know that's but we just heard about how how Kuro is uh, like a shot in the arm for the series so that'll be yeah, following through that you don't need a new title every year I mean, we. I mean, like we we saw how much time it took to get Shimagami Tensei Five. We saw how much time it took to get Arise. It does kind of make you wonder, like, if they allowed one of these to cook for two hell three years, like what the what the ceiling ends up being. Well, but look at the, it, the release window between Cold Steel Two and Cold Steel Three. What was that release window? Uh, that it, it took a while for Cold Steel Three to come out after Cold Steel ah, okay. Two. Well, obviously, we'll get a similar idea, not with Trails, but with East, whenever the next East Games comes out, probably 2023. Because uh, they've the same team has been working on that East, um, East game since 9 came out in Japan in 2019. So it's oh, okay. going to have a lot know. of time in the oven. So. Okay, uh, the better question is, when is Falcom ever going to like make some, like a new like game again besides East and Trails? Never. <laughs> Never. Like even even Atlas had the balls to like 
do Catherine, you know? It's like, hey, why don't we not make a new game? Supposedly working on Project Re Fantasy, although it's been literally like four years since we've seen anything from it, even conceptually. Really? I thought we saw uh, something. I know there was, I, I was looking through their YouTube channel and they showed, they had like a concept video one. That was like 2016 or earlier. And then they had a concept video two, 2017. I don't think they've had anything sent anything since then. I mean, maybe they showed like a more concept art, but still it's been a while and we still haven't gotten anything that's like actually like a rendered game screenshot. It's all concept art still. Which concept uh, art is really important. It's been many years now. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. I'm, just, I'm kind of just thinking yeah, that, that they that, are doing that, something new. That's a bit of a tangent, but yeah. So I, I don't think it's boring. I just think it's like not a shock. Like, oh, they're working on a Trails game. Like, it was either going to be next next year or the year after. Like, that's all they nailed down. Like, okay, um, I was expecting that kind of anyways, but now we have confirmation. The other news, water is wet. Yeah, kind of. We talked about this, uh, I think, two podcasts ago, where now we are at the marketing point of Atelier Sophie 2, The Alchemist of the Mysterious Dream, where it's really just diving into specific character uh, bios and personalities and uh, concept art and things like that. Uh, We talked about the introduction of Elias and Alette back in October, so last month. And now we've got Diebold and Elvira. So talking about just new characters are doling out through these little press releases. We got some more details on some of the features in Sophie too, like a, like a weather system and some of the harvest systems, a lot of screenshots. And I, I know a lot of people are really attached to some of the, some of the screenshots and some of the character uh, are in those, but otherwise it's just kind of like really into like the, the minutia now. And in my opinion, I'm at the point where you're either interested in Atelier Sophie too, or you're not. So that's uh, all up I, on the I, site. I'm interested in like uh, when I think about Elvira, I think of the pinball machine for Elvira. That's what I think of, and I, I like pinballs. So I'm interested in that. But that's I, about this, it for this, this is a bit silly, but uh, one of the characters, Diebold Lawrence, uh, mm-hmm. he's he looks kind of like a like a dark knight, broody sort of character, a gloomy man who wields two swords uh, mm. and works alongside Elias. While he look while he may look sincere and honest, he is actually stubborn and inarticulate. Actually, I wasn't expecting inarticulate to be uh, <laughs> like a, a character trait, but I, but I saw some people like looking at his art and be like, "Who is this? That guy is hot," or or, or whatever mm-hmm. his takeaway is. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. only have these base level takeaways when you're just looking at the character art and you haven't really seen them uh, in game or in the story yet but uh it'll be interesting to see like the momentum of uh sophie 2 and how much it benefits from the popularity of the two rise of games because yeah, you do wonder like people are be like well i can't play sophie 2 until i play sophie 1 and don't make time for that so I, I am interested kind of more as an outsider just to see like how well this game does and whether whether that kind of that bump that we saw with the rise of series persists or if it falls off with this game uh, we got a, more detail on some Super Robot Wars DLC, and uh, Josh, yeah. I'll let you take this. What is Gilliam's Genspest? Genspest. <laughs> yeah, Gilliam is a uh, is a character from the Super Robot Wars original generation verse. He's a uh, he's a really cool uh, uh, guy with purple hair, a, a genius, kind of a spy espionage. Type I, I was, was going to joke that he's inarticulate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, he's uh i guess the 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 unique thing about him like for uh fans is like yeah, there's only one version of him that like just does it's like he's a dimension diver so like while other of other people like say ryusei has like an alpha 
timeline verse from there's a reset from the alpha series and a reset from the OG verse and a reset from whatever like there, there's like two versions of him depending on like you know SRW timelines uh there's always always only one Gilliam ever and whatnot and he just dimension dives and that's all um so that's you know that, he, he's just a generally cool character he's not like you know he has his fans I like him um so that that's kind of like the the so the surprise add-on um character you, you don't need the dlc so he comes in a free update for everyone um the the november 16th 17th date is for early access people so we had people who bought the deluxe and ultimate edition of the game they get the uh you know the the dlc early the update i don't think the update is early access um and then but um for people who didn't get the dlc they'll get the first stage of the dlc for free so you know, if you wanna, if you didn't like want this content, but you're 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 not sure if you'll like it or not, you can now see like you know the first stage of that and whatnot. Um, and there's gonna be a 30th anniversary, um, like special stage, kind of like commemorating um, the game and the series' 30th anniversary. I think I think they came out and said this this game has the initial sales are around like over 500,000, which is really really fucking good for the series. Um, so that they must be very happy with the sales of this, you know. Big surprise, but it has a global simultaneous release that's easy to obtain around the world. Um, so that that I'm that that's really cool. Um, they also laid out uh, a roadmap like, that detailed this, along with the what to expect in December. In December, of course, they'll have um, the release of the DLC pack two, which is going to have Gundam Iron Bloated Orphans. Ultraman and more uh, SRWOG characters uh, with Kyosuke and Excellen. Um and the, the there's gonna be a free update in December as well, and that'll up uh, have another difficulty level called Super Expert Mode, which you know, like I said, I, I was complaining about difficulty in like the games, like the, it being too like easy, like more numbers for like you know. For a bigger HP pool to do more numbers, like you know, like that's not great difficulty design. It's just like something to kind of I don't know poke your, poke away at there. And along with this uh, free update patch, because they're gonna have a higher difficulty uh, and whatnot, they're gonna unlock uh, upgrade limits for the units and pilots. So like usually throughout the game, you initially start with like uh, uh, five uh, upgrade slots for your mechs, but then as you unlock more features in the ship. You can like uh, upgrade it, upgrade it up to like fifteen, and then they're gonna uncap that and whatnot to who knows how how much. Um, and yeah, I mean, sure, why not? They're they're, they're gonna. They're, this is a game that clearly still has a lot of life in it, despite having already a lot of content. And hopefully, by the time all the DLC is out, hopefully it'll have a conclusive ending. <laughs> and, and then it'll only take one hundred and fifty hours to beat. Oh my god! Maybe <laughs> not. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I was going to say maybe not, but I was like, you never know, actually. Too bad uh, Chow never was able to make it on this week because uh, he is the only one that is still equipped to talk at length in detail correctly about Genshin Impact and its current updates. Uh, Well, Andrea would as well if she was uh, able to make it to a podcast. She would also be on top of it. But Genshin Impact version 2.3 will launch next, or sorry, in two weeks on November 24th. And this is, yeah, that's actually fucked up. That's releasing on Thanksgiving. Oh, that is Thanksgiving. 
Uh huh. How many? How many people do you oh, think? No, are gonna, no, no. Uh, that's Wednesday. It's the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, but uh, you know, people are gonna. How Play many people do you think are gonna are, are gonna are gonna prioritize Genshin over Thanksgiving now? Uh, many, based on the popularity of Genshin Impact, just just by just by sheer number of yeah. people that play it, even if only like four percent of them make that decision, that's still a lot of people, apparently. Um, so I can only kind of go into like the surface levels of what the the trailer and the press release talk about for two point three. It's a a snow based seasonal event called Shadows Admits Snowstorms in the new uh, uh, Inazuma region. There's two new characters, uh, Ara. Arataki Ito and Goru. I believe Goru's been around, but now he's going to be playable. But again, I can't speak with any confidence on any of this because uh, I need Chow to, to bail me out in terms of actually giving the details here. Uh, so it just sounds like another sizable patch in the Inazuma region. Very ice-themed, two new characters, uh, some challenges that you can partake in to get uh, some new weapons that have uh, special attributes and things like that. So anyone who's probably playing Genshin already knows this stuff. <laughs> They've already probably digested the trailer and uh, everything like that, but so if if how we can, do get how can you forget the the golden wolf lord the, the new boss in Surumi Island, Brian? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't drill deeply enough into like the press release. So, but if we yeah. do get a if if we can convince Chow to to log back in and play through this, we'll we'll ask him. But it seems we don't like have to convince Chow. Chow's doing it to himself. I was gonna say, well, he like whenever we, uh, I don't know if this has been coming, this came through in any of the podcast episodes, but whenever we talk casually, he's always like, oh, there's nothing to do. And then he does everything they give him <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. It's so, like Stockholm Syndrome or something. Just like, this game is not very good. By the way, I put 300 hours or more. Yeah, he's definitely that Steam review that's like on Dota 2. It's like he has 5,000 hours. Left. It's like, this game is fucking shit, dude. There's nothing left to do. It's so easy. Ugh. <laughs> he is that guy. I'm yeah, just reminded we'll, of like SpongeBob where Patrick is like got the chocolate on his mouth and he's like, I'm starving here. Yeah. I think I'll eat it now. <laughs> <laughs> Have we seen Lies of P since its original announcement? I don't think so. No, but so it wasn't that long ago. If you don't remember, Lies of P is the very weird concept of a grim dark souls-like game based on the story of pinocchio this was announced back in may uh from neo Wiz and round eight studios the teams behind bless unleashed and at the time we just got a, a concept art a cg trailer uh but now we have a another teaser trailer with some gameplay from the alpha and it it looks interesting but the thing is is that if you didn't tell me that it was based on the story of Pinocchio. I don't know if I could have like called it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's it, it kind of it looks like because uh the the setting actually looks I don't know like I'm not worldly enough to know like what specific years like the Victorian era is bounded by, but it seems like the setting actually does remind me a lot of Bloodborne, just in terms of like the design of the buildings, the design of the courtyards, uh, and like the streets there's, and the lamps. There's definitely been a lot of Bloodborne comparisons with this. Yeah. So it's in fact, I think another website, a PlayStation focused website called the The Six Access, literally their article is Bloodborne fans need to watch this Lies of P trailer. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, that makes me feel better about like jumping to that comparison because I did not see that Six Axis or other sites had made it. Like, this kind of reminds me of Bloodborne. Oh, okay. Apparently, I'm not alone. Like, there, I can yeah. uh, feel good about my own uh, takeaway from the trailer. Uh, it's 
it kind of the, the gameplay kind of looks like imagine a, a imagine like a nondescript souls gameplay montage in your head just any setting any any animation style any art style this kind of just looks like that like yeah that it's very clear what their inspiration's from uh it looks good in this basic very very short snippet of gameplay that they show in this teaser trailer uh i don't know if i'm really on board with the setting because it's kind of out there but maybe that maybe that's a good thing that it's just kind of out there like no one else has done this but still no date for it still uh no real other information other than 2023 oh was there something i missed no before there wasn't a date like at all and then IGN says 2023. Like, oh, okay, oh. so it's a ways out. Which is kind of what we all presumed, anyways. Uh, this, is, this is just so weird. The sentence for the, uh, of the, for the press release. As Pinocchio himself, you must navigate through a dark bell epoch world where all of humanity is lost. That's <laughs> Pinocchio <laughs> himself. Do you, do you think there's going to be a mechanic where you fucking can grow your nose and use that as a weapon <laughs> in this game? Oh, totally. Uh, That'd be sick. No, no, no. What if there's a morality system and the only indicator that you're becoming more evil is that your nose gets bigger? What if, okay, what if it's like the Demon Souls on like, like tendency system, but it's really your nose? No, here, no, here, here's something from the press release. Uh, the more you lie, the more human you become with all the advantages and disadvantages that that entails. Wait, so, is that how it's supposed to be? The more you lie, the more human you become? Well, the thing is, is that unfortunately, I think most of us have a disney-fied version of the tale when we already kind of know from like hunchback and from other from other like long folk tales that they're they're really sanitized and really you know uh made even sanitized disney pinocchio is pretty dark in places that's true like this is the original (laughs) pinocchio story like the original is like darker Mm -hmm. and i see some people also making the comparison between uh Spider Studio Steel Rising, which is another kind of like souls like clockwork. It's well, it's like it's not steampunk, it's like gear punk. So I, I don't know if that's a term, but looking but. at the alpha gameplay for Lies of P compared to what they showed for Steel Rising, Lies of P, Lies looks, of P looks way better. better. Way, looks way better. That Steel Rising th- gameplay we saw was kind of like honestly like really janky. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, no, the gameplay of this looks really good and it looks flashy and it looks brutal i'm just i don't want to be at like a negative that the that the premise is bad because it's not bad it's just out there it's like i have to kind of almost acclimate to it even though i've had since may to do that so now that i've been reminded that this project exists like oh yeah this thing looks really quite uh something <laughs> but i still think one- it's weird that this is coming from the studio behind bless unleashed like uh, those guys yeah okay <laughs> Well, Bless is weird because, like, it had the online game, which was was apparently so bad that they removed it entirely. I'm trying to remember that's that happened, right? Like, you can no longer Uh, buy it. It (laughs) might have happened. I don't remember the. I just remember it was very poorly received, and like there was like this uh, Bless refugee sort of thing where they bailed to play other games, and they're like, "No, no, no, we've got Bless Unleashed now." But. independent of that i don't have any strong opinion on bless but lies of p the gameplay trailer looks fun the premise is definitely very interesting uh, it's on my radar uh, i just looked bless online the original version of it so not the unleashed version does have ten thousand reviews on steam mostly negative and it's been removed from sale hell yeah <laughs> Amazing. so i have to wait for lies of p unleashed then yes I, yes 
A uh, couple little Pokemon announcements here. This isn't really that interesting, but I guess for people who are really interested in uh, Pokedex completion, uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, which if you know where to look, has kind of had a, a leaky problem in terms of what's out there and available to read up on for it. But in terms of official media, we have learned about a location in the game called Romanus Park, which is basically an area of the game that can, as far as I understand from the from the trailer, communicate with your existing data for previous Pokemon games to allow you to access other legendary Pokemon and get an official way to capture them in uh, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl. Uh, And it's kind of... The wires are coming across because what you're thinking of is the POW Park from the original um, Diamond and Pearl. This is the replacement for it because the way that the POW Park worked is that you literally, since you had a GBA slot, you would put your Game Boy Advance games in there and you could transfer Pokemon that way. Uh, okay, so um, this is the this one is that you find slates that are just conveniently shaped like a uh, Game Boy and Game Boy Advance uh, Pokemon cartridges in the underground, and then you can place them in pedestals to uh, encounter legendary Pokemon for the games that the slates very obviously represent. Uh, okay, I, I just I read uh, th- there's a there's a word art thing that says link up with other games to prevent mythical Pokemon. So that's that's the tag that i was latching onto, but i guess they meant like metaphorically uh the thing is though is one thing that's just weird about they show like i i'm familiar with pokemon through like the first three four uh generations so through the original incarnation of diamond and pearl it just seems weird to me like go to this park and you can capture the legendary cats the legendary birds ho lugia jirachi it's just like they all live here it just seems really gamey to me uh but I guess people just really want to be able to this collect them. So whether or not it makes sense in the world or in the lore, they're just like, they're here. Don't worry about it. Uh, oh, Mew is here as well. Just There is a fun part of the trailer where it shows Mew fighting a Bidoof, which is kind of maybe too, too on the nose, but uh, it's fun. But it's in the game. I mean, that's better than how it was before, where for whatever reason, they decided to lock Mew behind the Pokeball accessory, even though in like let's go like they said oh you can transfer any kanto pokemon from pokemon go and so let's go except for Mew. even if you got Mew, no you pay us 40 dollars you you asshole i had almost forgotten about the let's go pokeball Mew thing i didn't because i actually <laughs> had <Apparently Mew>. not. <laughs> I'm about to say, apparently not you did it but uh yeah and then uh the only other the kind of a parallel piece of news for that is for the upcoming game for next year pokemon legends arceus uh if you do have sword and shield uh save data you'll be able to unlock a special request that will we don't know the details of the request but uh it will allow you to unlock shaman so another either legendary or mythical i don't remember that i don't delineate between those two tiers i guess because i don't know what falls into one what falls into the other but uh, uh mythicals are pokemon that you can only get through an event legendaries are pokemon you can get in game without needing like a download event or going to like a GameStop or something like that all right uh it's funny because the Pokemon Deoxys used to be a mythical, but you can just catch it in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, so it's uh, just it got, it got demoted. Yeah. And then, uh, if, if you if you own Let's Go Pikachu or Let's Go Eevee, you get some uh, cosmetic items in Arceus, which not surprising. Uh, it's a po- it's a Pikachu mask or an Eevee mask. So cool, yeah, neat. 
We talked about this very briefly last week about how we finally have uh, some details about the inclusion of Spider-Man in Marvel's Avengers, how he's showing up for the PlayStation versions uh, at the end of November on the 30th, but how there was no uh, details other than the date, no screen. All we had was like the logo on the roadmap. Uh, we then got a cinematic like still, then a trailer, and then some screenshots, which are just screenshots of the trailer. So, Adam, you're the one that maybe dives into this more than anyone here. Have they shown Spider-Man in-game outside of the uh, this little CG trailer for him? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the, the IGN like exclusive reveal was like the cinematics like it was just a cinematic trailer with screenshots of the cinematic trailer i'm actually going to the website right now um they have there's, there's a couple of like renders like so you can maybe see what he looks like in the game but not really a screenshot i think yeah and so. maybe i don't know maybe i'm being stupid by like dialing in on that so much it just seems weird just like this whole unveiling about how early they announced this how much backlash it was how little the consensus seems to care now and like, I'm just trying to think who who is looking at the CG trailer, which just kind of shows the. I'm actually having it running on a second monitor right now. It shows like uh, Spider Man fighting alongside Iron Man with Captain America's shield flying around. Like this doesn't excite me. I don't know. It's like well, it's just, how many views does that trailer have? It's probably a ton. Uh, yeah, the idea well, seven, seven, 75,000. I don't know if that's a lot, wait, but wait. It's, it is a lot, I, I guess. I, I expected more than that. That's that's from the Marvel's Avengers. Uh, maybe, maybe I have to well, go to the well, What's the IGN one have? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna guess it's gotta be several hundred thousand. <laughs> oh, 2.2 million. Never mind. Oh, there you yeah. go. See, so okay, so. apparently, I am just like completely not in the audience for this. I'm looking at this, I'm like, who cares? Oh, apparently, tons of people care. All right, so. If you're a really big Spider-Man Spider Marvel, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. November thirtieth. Tell me how much you enjoy him in your Avengers experience, and oh, what, what do I know? <laughs> Two point uh, two million. <laughs> so, watch yeah. watch this be just like, even though it's not as far as I understand, it's just like an event with Spider-Man, and he's not going to be like playable otherwise. But Wait, is this a, a time playable no, not, character? Not time limited. It's just like he's only playable in like a certain like situation in the game, oh. and not not like a fully upgradable character that you can take on raids or whatnot. I'm pretty sure it's part really? of like a, I think so. What the fuck? <laughs> so that's weird. I huh. But watch this be like watch this be like a kick in the butt that this game needs to apparently do really well because just people love Spider Man so much. I don't know. Oh, I'm uh, sure they're hoping for that. <laughs> even though it's only on PlayStation and not Xbox or PC. And even though it is yeah. not it is not the PlayStation uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales version of Peter Parker. So it's like no. we've seen Spider-Man show up in like uh, uh, Marvel's. What is, what is that Switch game? Alliance. Uh, Ultimate Three. Alliance. Ultimate yeah. Alliance. I couldn't remember what the adjective was like. Avengers Alliance. So Ultimate Alliance, like Spider-Man showed up there. It's not like Sony has the rights to all incarnations of Spider-Man in all video games, but apparently they pulled whatever needed strings to get him here. And we'll see if that ends up paying off. I, I, at first I would have said like, probably not, but 2.2 uh, million views on the, on the reveal trailer. Maybe, maybe this will be something more. And I am just being too much of a cynic. You're just, you're just reminding me that man, they should really fucking release ultimate Alliance three on PC because it being a switch exclusive is a big ass bummer. 
That's yeah. a fun game, but man, the performance is rough. Same with SMT5, by the I was way. Actually, I, was, I was trying to think of a tactful way to like say, like maybe <laughs> maybe the same future's in store for Shin Megami Tensei. You might believe that uh, more strongly, depending on where you look on the internet, of people trying to find evidence for that plan, uh, even though obviously it's not been officially announced. But uh, Oh my God, please those... release SMT5 <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> Uh, but that, yeah, that covers us for the news. So uh, obviously a big focus this week on uh, recently released or upcoming games that we were uh, all lucky enough to get uh, some hands on. A couple of the write-ups on the site for uh, Elden Ring and for Chrono Kaseki looking way into the future for most of us in the West. Uh, and then obviously just some of the details for more games coming in quarter one next year. So Keep an eye on the podcast as we go into end of the year deliberations, starting to get an idea of which games will show up and what our ultimate list might look like. We're in, in behind the scenes. We're currently trying to dial down a date for those. So that would interrupt our normal TetraCast and we'll, we'll keep you in the know in terms of when to expect those to show up. Uh, you can visit us on our website at rpgsite.net. We have all the guides for Shin Megami Tensei. I believe if you go to the front page, it's pretty much entirely that right now. Uh, but anything you could want to know there, Adam has put together or is in the middle of putting together. You can follow us on any of the social media, uh, normal places, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Just search for RPG site. You should find us. Uh, and we'll be back next week. So probably talking maybe a little bit more about Elden Ring. Maybe we'll get George back on to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, he still owes us that discussion, damn it. Uh, and then whatever else we have time for uh, as we wrap up into the back half of November. Are you being released next week? Mm, nothing comes. Wait, wait. When, when is when is Pokemon? That's it's not next, next week. week. It is. Oh, it's it's Friday. So it'll be. Uh, if anyone's playing that day one, well, they'll have a they'll have a couple days to uh, to get into it before the podcast. So yeah, Pokemon next week uh, for the two oh. for the two remakes. Yeah, hopefully I'll have it a few days early too. So definitely have oh. some impressions. Are you planning on grabbing it as as soon as you can? I already have a pre-order down. So oh, nice. If we don't get code, <laughs> so we'll play it that way. FF7 The First Soldier comes out next week. Hell oh, yeah. Is that is that what you're going to be? Uh, <laughs> can I count on you for that? They said they're all support controllers. I really did not like the touch controls. So if I could find a way to hook a controller up to my phone, maybe. Time to get a Razor Kishi or something. Oh, Jesus Christ. Whatever the fuck, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what uh, I don't know what controller uh, support is like on Android. Uh, but yeah, uh, we'll be back next week. So stay safe, take care. We'll talk to you then.